0: Welcome to the Televerse, the podcast just for TV. Because it's great, we're lucky they make so many fine programs to see. Your are Ellen Kate, to like to debate the merits of all that they've seen. Comedy, genre, reality, drama, and anything that's in between. Welcome to the Televerse, let's get the show. Hello and welcome to the Televerse. This is Kate Kozak, and I'm joined as ever by Noel Kirkpatrick. Noel, how's it going?
1: It's going all right. How are you this week?
0: Uh, I I'm good. I am still behind on my TV viewing, so I don't have thoughts on Paul Dark yet. But I am determined to have thoughts on Paul Dark next week. <laughs> um, it's it's just been a very busy week. All you were right. You predicted this with all the CW shows coming back,
1: and there's still more to come.
0: And there, those are the ones we are mm-hmm. most excited about. Now, some of us yeah. have screeners, and some of us are very jealous of you, Noel. Uh right. you've gotten to see crazy ex girlfriend did you have you the seen jane first
1: three oh, crazy ex so right now I'm yeah. so
0: jealous
1: but no, I haven't seen Jane uh they're doing like an in person screening of the first two episodes for everyone who's all the journalists who are in l a mm-hmm. which means they won't make it available digitally mm-hmm. because they hate people who aren't in l a okay. and they want the new site, but I mean it's just like oh that's not fair. <laughs> <laughs> but so that's happening next week for all the LA journalists. So I'll be I'm envious of people who get to go to that. Mm-hmm. So if that if that balances things out. turn sure about fair all. play?
0: Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Good to know. There we go at least. Well yeah, I'm certainly looking forward to uh to, to Craziest Girlfriend and I think I'll be able to handle the question marks yeah. at the end of every all the title.
1: Yeah, the episodes are all question marks, so you need to you need to work on your up question voice. I
0: I, I will I will do that. I will miss the excitement of every mm-hmm. every title ending with an exclamation point. Um, this week on the podcast, we have a bunch more premieres we're talking about. We're going to be checking in with a few more shows. I have caught up with High Maintenance finally, so we will talk about well, that. Well, that's good
1: because I haven't watched anything past the second episode. So yay! yay! Well, <laughs> at
0: least we can then have a conversation about the first two. Um, yeah. Yeah, there's also, we've had the vice presidential debate this week And this coming Sunday is the second presidential debate And so because of that, HBO put up the pilots for Insecure and Divorce So we'll be talking about those as well, those are premiering on the 9th They also put up the second episode of Westworld, but I haven't had a chance to check out that one yet So uh, we'll just have thoughts on the the premiere But uh, we should get into what is a very full week in TV um, but before we do, of course, at the end of the podcast, uh, we have a season spotlight. Now, Noel, you set this one out because we are I'm talking with a friend of the show, former co-host, Sean Coletti of TV Roundtable. Talked about Transparent Season 3, and Transparent is not your jam.
1: It's not. I, I also question whether or not we should be covering a five-hour movie on a podcast that's about TV.
0: <laughs> yeah, I don't really... What is that? I mean, like, I, I can see that actually for transparent the way that the season is structured, it actually felt like a more legitimate way to consider the season. Um, uh-huh. we, don't, we don't really get into that in the segment, but um, but I don't really understand this distinction that people feel like they need. to Well, it's really more like a. it's like, do you, are you trying to distance yourself from the medium that you are participating in? Yes. I, it's so pretentious.
1: It is very pretentious, but it's a way to legitimize what they're doing. I mean it's all tied up in TV legend, TV legitimization, which has been an ongoing thing for like decades. I can recommend actually a really good book about the whole thing uh, called Legitimating Television. It's really, really good, very short. Uh, it's by Michael Newman and a lot of – Levine. I think I'm mispronouncing her first name. I apologize. But it's really, really good. Um, Very short. Goes into why, how television has, as a medium, keeps getting reconfigured as this bad object, but keeps trying to be a good object. So talking about a thing, a television show as a five-hour movie is just one way of doing that.
0: That's just very strange to me as somebody who's just always loved TV for being TV, but... That's a conversation for another time. For now, we are going to take a break, listen to some music, and come back with our week in comedy. Uh, We're going to talk a bit about the Insecure pilot, insecure as fuck, then uh, the Divorce pilot, pilot, uh, as well as, Noel, you're going to catch us up a bit on Atlanta. This week's episode is Value and Better Things. This week's episode is Future Fever. Uh, Then I'll chat a bit about uh, the second, third episode of High Maintenance, or the third, and we'll both talk about the second, um, before we catch up with Brooklyn Nine-Nine, which wrapped up its Coral Palms arc. And uh, then talk Blackish 40 Acres and a Vote and The Good Place Category 55 Doomsday Crisis. So, uh, first up is Insecure, which is the new show on HBO from Issa Rae and Larry, Larry Wilmore. We've been very excited about this one. Uh, what did you think of the pilot?
1: I really enjoyed it, um, especially, and we can get into this when we talk about divorce, but I mean, this is a very weird one two combo of comedies from HBO. And I'd much rather watch more of Insecure than Divorce. Um, But it's very distinct um, voice. uh, Really, really funny. And complicated in terms of just how Issa Rae's character is representing herself to different people and the expectations that she has for herself and for those around her. And the other thing I really liked is that her best friend feels just as well-formed as she does immediately within the pilot, and I really appreciated that. And it's just—it's a lot of fun, and it's very smart and about sex, about white people being terrible. <laughs> um, never ever ask someone who's black what on fleek means. Just don't do it. Yeah. Um, it's just bad, and it's—it's it's a funny moment, and I like that the character just goes. I have no idea either and then the voiceover kicks in and she's just like i totally know what that means but no i'm not <laughs> going to explain this it's not it's not her job and i think that there's a really good way of depicting all of that so i really really enjoyed it i can't wait to watch more of this uh how did you feel about the premiere of uh insecure
0: i thought it was terrific i mean even just i think maybe my favorite sequence of the whole thing is Issa and her lipstick and deciding oh, gosh.
1: isn't that isn't that sequence just amazing
0: it's wonderful i mean and, and i think it's something that so many people can identify with um i don't know i don't know about, about you know but certainly where you're like oh no what color am i today you know like what is this what does this statement say about me and all of this stuff and who do i want to be and what will this bring out in myself or am i just kidding myself
1: right Uh, I do that with chapstick. Um, Mm -hmm. I try to decide if I'm feeling like more mint or more like cherry cola.
0: I feel like that could be like a, if you have like a statement tie or something, you know, I don't
1: wear ties. I have socks. I have statement socks. So I think that's about it. That's, that's as close (laughs) as I can get to that. But no, it's a really good sequence. Um, I was really like blown away by that sequence just the way she's shifting through identities based on lipstick mm-hmm. uh, just speaks volumes. And it was really, really interesting. And I liked that the end result was, no, just just a little bit of gloss.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: And I'm good. Natural color. Let's do this. Let's yeah. go.
0: Yeah. Well, and it just, yeah, I think it's, I, I really appreciate that it didn't feel like a mission statement. Right. It didn't feel like, um, it's not like she's discovered, oh, I like being up on stage and now I'm going to go get the- go get the world. You know, it yeah. it just, it felt much more organic than that. And uh, like you said, I really liked Molly as well. And the thought yeah. behind that character was, was really strong um, and really distinct. It felt, they felt like very distinct, um, very distinct characters with a strong history together. And that was, that was nice. Uh, yeah. I, I think it's really promising and I'm certainly looking forward to watching more of it. Issa Rae is a really strong central figure, uh really commands, the screen and is very engaging and immediately, immediately interesting, which is what you're looking for. And I guess I'm going to use that to pivot over to divorce, which unfortunately I cannot say the same about our our lead in this Sarah Jessica Parker's character. For me, the big highlight of divorce is that it comes from Sharon Horgan, who is terrific, um, being one of the creators and writers and stars of Catastrophe, so I'm very enthused for another Sharon Horgan show, Um, but nothing here grabs me, as much as I like these performers, the way that Issa, the character of Issa, grabs me in Insecure, and that, when there's so much TV, that's a really hard hurdle to get over.
1: No, I agree. Um, In a way that um, Insecure feels very freeing and compelling and very new. Uh, divorce feels the exact opposite of all of those things. Um, in part just because it's very much, oh, look at this sad, frustrated middle-aged woman whose entire motivation for this is middle-aged ennui. Mm-hmm. Basically. And it's It was kind of weird because I was thinking about it and I was very much like, well, we've gotten to the point where we can have a show about a woman basically dealing with middle age on Wii and have her be thorny and complicated and kind of horrible. Mm-hmm. But at the same time, it's just, I'm, it's not interesting. They're not doing anything really compelling within the premiere anyway of why we should f- at least on some level connect with her sense of frustration that's being depicted in the pilot. And so it ends up having to make, Thomas Hayden Church's character just looked kind of like a doofus to justify it, which is a very weird way to go because he doesn't seem like a terrible human being or like a bad husband. He just they both just seem in a rut. Mm -hmm. And her decision is, well, we're going to get a divorce and I'm also going to maybe pursue my my affair relationship a little bit and we've gotten to the point where the guy from the flight of the concords is the viable alternative
0: yeah (laughs) and it's just
1: like that's so weird to me um but i really like sarah jessica parker in this um i think she does a a really good job of making her character just kind of click into place uh but it's not enough to overcome just how tired this just feels yeah. to me. And so I'm not at all compelled to check out more of this, but we'll see if I can maybe carve out time. You don't sound like you're going to check out any more either though.
0: Yeah, I again if I didn't have so many shows that I'm trying to keep up with right yeah. now then or if they if they had dropped a bunch of it and I could just set aside a couple hours and check out a few more to, like get into like the uh just the swing of the show a bit more maybe. But the big thing I point to is with, with catastrophe, not only am I very invested in the, both of the two leads, but there's an entire world of side characters and and like for, you know, just the family and friends and coworkers of these two characters who are very interesting and are like, I, I want to watch them and here Molly Shannon's terrific. But I
1: she's playing that very broad type of Molly Shannon. She's
0: doing like when she starts yelling and she's doing the hands and I'm like oh she's doing the Molly Shannon hands and she's doing like this is not that far off of some of her uh, SNL characters and yeah. it's I think they I think she's doing what they are I, my guess would be she went broad because they told her to do broad I've can, we've seen her do much more nuanced work um, but it's not even just that it's the characters not. Interesting that her and her husband have this toxic relationship and I don't know, even like little things like, we're going to talk about dogs a bit here when we get to high maintenance, but she's horrible to this new dog that she didn't want in the first place. But if we want me to be interested in this character and she's a complicated and difficult and very privileged person the least you can have her be is not terrible to the dog. If you are trying to give me an inn where I want to spend time with her. And if you don't, then that's okay. You don't, I don't, not everybody needs to be likable, but there's no character in this that I feel particularly compelled by, or that I feel like I haven't seen in other things. Um, right. And so that makes it just a challenge to prioritize this as much as I do enjoy these, this cast. I mean, Thomas Hayden church is terrific as well. And you know, Jermaine popping up as, as the affair is the side piece is like lovely. I thought that was awesome when that happened, but it's just, yeah, I, there's the pieces here are individually are here, but nothing came together for me in this to make me prioritize a second episode. And that, that's really a shame. So we'll see. Maybe if I hear good things, I'll check back in later in the season. Um, but right now I got I got too many ABC comedies. I want to keep up with to make time for a divorce. And, my advice for everybody else would be if if you're checking if you're interested in divorce, watch catastrophe it's so much better it's so much better, and not just because that is the trying to build a relationship and this is the crumbling of a relationship, but just because the characters are more interesting um so yeah that that's my advice. Have you seen catastrophe? I have not no oh it's so good it's it's terrific, and they, you know you can just you know marathon those two seasons and yeah so much better than this first episode at least but we'll see what happens next i another show that i'm behind on and i certainly will catch up with uh, this week's episode um i'm only one behind on this one before i watch any more divorce is atlanta because i've been really enjoying this season i'm just i'm just a little behind uh what did you think of this week's episode value
1: Right, so this episode focused uh, predominantly on Van, um, which was really interesting and uh, after having a number of episodes focused on basically all the dudes, uh, it was basically that Van gets a call to go out with her much more successful girlfriend and they end up in a big fight about lifestyles and everything, so that alone in and of itself is really well executed considering we've never met this friend before. But they're argument within the Thai restaurant is really well executed. Um, there's so much going on with it in terms of approaches to sexuality, uh, represent, uh, how they present femininity, um, but also just how all that gets bound up in class. And that was really, really interesting, and it was really good at rationing up tension between the two of them very, very quickly. And that leads to her smoking a joint the night before she finds out she has a drug test. Oh. Yeah, so the bulk of the episode is her spent trying to find clean urine to use for said drug test. Mm -hmm. Um, Because I don't remember if they had mentioned that she was a teacher up to this point, but she's a teacher. Yeah. Yeah, Um, so I don't want to spoil it how all this plays out for you in terms of the comedic hijinks that ensue, because it's all very well done and very funny, and I enjoyed it a lot. Um, But it was very much... A shift in the show's approach and i really appreciated that and like i said to you right before we started recording it just it maybe feels like fx's male-driven comedies are all doing these kind of female-centric episodes uh just to kind of lighten the load on everyone else but also to give a different perspective on the scenarios that are happening so i'm thinking of course of um men man seeking women's more female-driven episodes um Which, at least from the first season, was the episode I really, really liked um, from that show. But this was really good, um, really interesting, and I had a very nice time spending time with Van and giving her perspective on their whole situation was really, really really interesting and really good to have.
0: Yeah, I look forward to catching up with it. Uh, absolutely. I didn't realize that this was a Van Citric episode until we started talking about it, and uh, that's certainly something I... I it's, a, it's a character I would like to know better, so I'm right. looking forward to it. We're now halfway through the season. How's Atlanta season one shaping up for you so far?
1: Uh, it's good. Um, I'm not, like, still, like, super compelled by the show in the way I f- feel like a lot of other people are, which is fine. Um, I like how the show... I very much thought the show was going to be about like making it within the Atlanta rap scene. And it's very steadily gone to these are just weird things that happen to people trying to make it in the Atlanta rap scene, including selling a samurai sword to get a dog that we're going to get a cut of the profits of the litter later in September. And that's really funny and really weird. And I like it much more than, oh, gosh, we can't break into the rap scene. Mm-hmm. I like this kind of stuff much more and there's much more there's a lot more going on than having to navigate all that. So th- the the show's very different from what I was expecting. So I'm really enjoying that aspect of it. Um you you're caught up except for like this week. How are things going for you with it?
0: I absolutely agree. I'm I'm much yeah. more interested in the I guess daily shenanigans, but like the, the, yeah. the oddities that can make up one's day-to-day existence when you work in a field that is not uh, a nine-to-five. And I think there's plenty of freelancers out there who know what that feels like um, when you feel like you're constantly hustling in some way to to get your next gig. Um, so yeah, I, I think the, the characters and the... Um, the world that they've created are, are very strong and really interesting and certainly a lot of fun. So I think they've done a really, really good job so far. Um, it, and it does feel very much of a piece and of a voice and like, like we anticipated from the first few episodes. So I'm glad to see that that's held through so far. And I will certainly look forward to catching up with this week's episode. Um, how about better things? How's that looking at the halfway point of the season? Uh, I was
1: like three behind on this. So it was like Brown, um, whatever the fourth or fifth episode was, whose title, I can't remember. And then this week's uh, Future Fever. I think this week was Future Fever. Let me check. Yeah. Yeah, this week was Future Fever. Um, I really enjoyed, like, all three of these episodes. How um, great
0: was Lenny Kravitz, right?
1: So great.
0: Yeah, I'm, so I'm too behind, weird. but I really yeah. like that episode.
1: Right, no, it's a really, really good episode. Um, it's really thoughtful, very funny, but without being, like, heavy-handed in what they were, like, talking about, which I Mm -hmm. really, really appreciated. So there was a lot of subtlety to that episode that I just could not get over. Plus, Duchovny. Mm -hmm. Uh, (laughs) He's Buddhist now. Maybe Hindu. And it's just like, oh, gosh. I love it. I love it. Um, Provided that was Duchovny. They didn't identify him, but it seems like it was supposed to be Duchovny.
0: Yeah, it feels... I I appreciate (laughs) any any actor who has such a... um, strong sense of humor about themselves, yeah. as Duchovny is, de- you know, from, from Larry Sanders all the way to now. Right. I was yeah. about to
1: say, if there's someone who has a sense of humor about himself, yeah. it seems like it's Duchovny. Um But Future Fever was, was a very maternal-centric episode um, with the focus on um, Sam and her daughters. And I really enjoyed, like, the short vignettes that we got with each daughter as they kind of navigate being with their mom. So, being sick, going to the bank to cash coins and see how much money you can get, and then spending all that money on silly string and candy. I mean,
2: mm-hmm.
1: the little girl spent $65 on candy, Kate. <laughs> that's amazing. That's horrible parenting. But yeah. that's amazing. Yep. Um, but also, like, a, a large portion of the episode was focused on the oldest daughter and the realization that she's just been wasting her teenage life away by doing things like socializing and doing drugs. Mm-hmm. And it all comes out in this big party scene with a bunch of other like semi-famous TV actors and comedians all around drinking wine, discussing things. And she's just sitting around listening. And then she just breaks down because she's had this conversation with the guidance counselor at school. And she's like, I'm wasting my life. I'm not going to get into college. What am I going to do with myself? And, it's a really big moment that pays off with another really big moment in a department store that I don't want to ruin for you. Um, but it's just – it's probably the best episode of Better Things so far, and it's its just really, really well done. Um, all the kid actors really step up really, really nicely, but it's just really well executed. And I'm remembering, like, what the second epi- – the middle episode about is and i like that episode too but this is a much stronger stronger episode um so how are you feeling about it as we head into like towards the tail end
0: well and again i've only seen the first three so i'm, I'm uh, too behind i will okay. hopefully be caught up again next week but um yeah i was really i the third still really uh, enjoyed yeah. it and was i'm good gl- we always appreciate when we watch comedies that strengthen as they go along as yep. opposed to maybe having a strong pilot but then dipping a little bit and having to find their feet um this this one has been very self assured from the beginning at just like Atlanta and i think they've done yeah they i think they've they've done well over at FX in creating an environment where comedies are able to develop um a strong sense and a strong voice before they even start filming and that lets them really flourish and even in their first seasons um it's can you think of another network that has as strong a track record in their comedies because i mean men's taking is not for everyone but it has right. a very distinct voice and it was doing something that nobody else was doing right away and I, I i mean look at always always sunny and archer always sunny's in season going into season 12 and it has some of its funniest episodes the last two years um and not to mention archer is you know just every every season and to be the very the worst it is is funny right
1: um i think that the only thing that could probably compare at least right now um and this is very much based on like its current run Mm -hmm. is amazon's original comedies both what they're licensing and what they're co-producing but also what they're picking up from developing internally um Mm -hmm. has been really strong lately and very distinct in terms of The perspectives and the voices that they're representing Woody Allen aside, and what who, yeah no talking about some show
0: that doesn't exist
1: in my brain. Right, no, neither of us have watched a crisis in six scenes. Um, but also on the upside, it won't exist again after this because Woody Allen is just like, yeah, that was a terrible mistake. I don't know why I agreed to do that. Um, so I think HBO, HBO, Amazon's comedy production slate has been really, really strong lately. And I think that's probably the only thing I could really readily compare to FX's comedy development slate like right now, for yeah.
0: sure. The other one I would point to I, would be I think ABC, which I mentioned earlier, but they yeah. they've got a really strong lineup, um, and that's from someone who's super behind uh, and probably not ever going to catch up with Goldberg's and the Middle. But um, yeah, well, the I Middle's hear just like
1: the Middle's like in its eighth, seventh, eighth or seventh season. I mean, that's a lot of work.
0: Yeah. Yep. Yep. But anyways, uh, FX is, I think we can agree is doing a really good job with both, uh, Atlanta and Better Things. So that's, yeah, I look forward to catching up on both of them. Um, I did catch up though on high maintenance, uh, episodes two and three. Uh, now everyone was losing their heads over the third episode because the whole thing was from the perspective of a dog. And I'm very confused about that because yes, it was very good. But the whole thing just made me very, very sad and angry on behalf of this dog. And I don't, like, the ending is supposed to be, I guess, happy? Because the dog might now be homeless, but at least it's outside all the time. And with with an owner who cares about it and is feeding it Cheetos, I mean... How does anybody think that's a happy ending? How is anybody... Think, yes, okay, the dog's not inside in a cage all day, which is not what it should be. But I don't know. Maybe I just... I know too many... Uh, I see around too many dogs, or I know about too many dogs that are not cared for the way that they need to be, that are were taken on by people who thought it would be cute to have a puppy and didn't investigate what different breeds need and what how much space and exercise they need and so they're just not taking care of the dogs the way that they need to and it makes me angry and so this for me is not a happy ending and i'm very puzzled by everyone who is treating it like like it is like this dog being dirty and being homeless is like yeah okay that's not a happy ending that's not like something to be excited about I don't, I just don't get how it isn't depressing to everyone else and um but the stylistically it was very well shot it was it was very creative um, can't really think of I mean obviously we're gonna have downward dog right coming at midseason. this is the um, comedy pilot with um
1: yeah it's mid season
0: the the one we love from Fargo Alison Tolman. Um, where the whole, the whole thing is from the perspective of, of the Alison Tolman character's dog, but, um, it was, yes, yeah, so it was well shot and, you know, it was interesting, but it was just depressing for me. Uh, the second episode, the first two episodes, um, again, I, I just, I don't think I, this, I don't really click with the show. So there was, you know, some fun performances and I, I appreciate it, especially in the second episode, the first half, first portion of yeah. it, which follows, um, a, a young woman who is uh, just has there's a clash of cultures between um, her heritage and her, her family which is much more traditional and um, and she's much more Americanized uh, so, so like she comes from a I want to say Muslim family she's got the headscarf and everything that she's wears when she's at home but as soon as she's out of eye, you know earshot and eyeshot of the family she's taking that off she's got a nose ring all that stuff and that was interesting but it wasn't I wasn't laughing. It wasn't funny, um, which I think is the what the show's trying to be somewhat. Um, so I, I guess it's like these little It's vignettes. certainly
1: trying to be funny in the second half of that episode.
0: Yeah, it wasn't that, that funny for me either. So I don't know. I just, I think it's, it's fine. It's like some people, a lot of people seem to love it. Uh, maybe it's because people have connection with the web series and I know some of these characters return from the web series. But for me, it was just sort of, okay, that's interesting. And I wanted more. I wanted more than that.
1: Right, no, I think that's interest I think that your response to that's interesting. For me, at least mirrors a lot of how I felt very much about like the first episode. But um, like you, I was very engaged by the first half of the second episode. Uh, And yeah, it just it feels very much like a show that's driven by doing these character portraits Mm -hmm. and that are deftly drawn. I'm not knocking any of the strength of these things, but I've never, I struggled really to find like ways into them Mm
2: -hmm.
1: and which isn't like the best thing that you want from a show that's wanting to do character portraits. Um, Maybe my empathy is just not high enough. (laughs) Um, So yeah, I, I think interesting is the correct word and I'm willing to give the show credit for wanting to do all these kinds of different perspectives on people living in New York city. Um, or animals living in New York City as the case may be um, but I just I struggle to care about it in any real way which is again something that we've already talked about with divorce and that kind of a thing where the engagement level it, there's a disconnect between us and the show yeah and that's fine I mean that's us and the show and how We're responding to things and that's that's art In general of how we all respond to it It's just high maintenance just doesn't Click For either of us as strongly as it's Clicking for a lot of other
2: people
0: Yep, And yeah no it's not like it's A bad show no um, But I, I also I do think for speaking of The second episode I, I feel like TV Has ruined Lee Turgeson for me because he Shows up in the second half of the second episode And my immediate thought was Ah, He, he, he did it he's the killer Because he's always, and then he was
1: in elementary this week.
0: Yeah, which uh, I'm sure
1: just confused you even more. A little bit, a
0: little bit. I mean, he's terrific. Don't get me wrong. His arc on The Americans last season was fantastic. But he's just always cast as like a guy who can be very violent if needed, um, or if he desires. And so he's just like instinctively, instinctually scary to me now. So uh, that didn't work so well for me here. (laughs) <laughs> but that's a me thing. That's not a show thing. Um, right. uh, speaking of instinctually uh, scary, uh, I I don't think that we the, Brooklyn Nine Nine was trying to like play in on with their casting of Eric Roberts as as our baddie. Um, with I, I think that it was a much more effective uh, marriage of. Actor to, to, you know, Figgis, in, actor to role here. We had Carl Pal- Palms Part 3. Um, I thought this was solid. I was a little underwhelmed, I got to say, by the the rest of the arc. I like the premiere by far the most. Um, yeah. And uh, it was solid, but, you know, I, I would have uh, appreciated they had gone a different way with some of the um Amy and Peralta tension and um, I think my favorite part was just um, uh, uh, Gina and Holt driving the truck. I don't know. What did you think?
1: No, I agree with the Jake and Amy stuff, which I feel like should have just been an episode onto itself after they got back as opposed mm-hmm. to feeling kind of shoehorned in here. Um, and kind of, I mean, they're obviously going to hopefully deal with it like next week. Um, but it's just, it felt like a weird thing to start doing here for me structurally. And it just kind of distracted from, Oh, we got the gang back together type of thing. And there can be some tension, but I mean, it became like a recurring thing of weird, passive aggressive, like I'm going to shoot a basketball and miss and hit her in the head. And it wasn't his intention to hit her in the head, but it feeds into that tension of both of them and just kind of kept distracting from the larger things. So, no, I think it's a, I think it's a solid episode. Um, I enjoyed Holt sewing himself up and Peralta just being horrified, even though he's not even looking at it Mm -hmm. and Holt just going, you're doing great, man. You're doing great. You're doing great. You're (laughs) such a strong boy. I am a strong boy. And it's just very funny type of stuff from both of them. And I really, really enjoyed that. But I also enjoyed, um, Peralta being like, I didn't kiss Captain Colt, even if his lips are very soft. <laughs> um, so that that was all really good. And yes, Eric Roberts was doing his Eric Roberts thing, and that perfectly works very well. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I do want just one like little showdown between Holt and Ken Marino's terrible chief. Mm-hmm. Um, but other than that, I'm just glad all the gang's back together and they can be back at work.
0: Yeah, Um, I will say that I they put up screeners, so I have seen the new girl Brooklyn Nine Nine crossover. Oh, Oh, Uh, that that
1: is the thing that's happening next. Oh God, I'm gonna have to watch New Girl, aren't I? You you really don't.
2: You really don't is
0: what I discovered because the like Jess is in one very easily excisable scene from uh, in the Brooklyn Nine Nine episode. Mostly is. There's nothing with new okay. Girl, and then in new Girl watching that pretty much just highlighted for me, yeah, I don't miss watching new girl um and the best scene for that involved uh the Jake Johnson character whose name escapes me at the moment, and Winston and a subway uh there's there's a little bit more interaction with the brooklyn nine nine cast, but mostly it's just a new girl episode like it just it feels very manufactured, I don't know why they. Thought this was a great idea. Over well, that Box.
1: makes me feel better because I didn't really want to watch New Girls. So. Yeah,
0: yeah, yep. My favorite parts of the New Girl episode were the Brooklyn Nine Nine cameos. For what there it's worth, go. but yeah. that's that's why I stopped watching New Girl a while ago. So I would say you can skip it. Yay! One last thing that I have to watch. <laughs> yeah. Um, next up, though, is the show that we're. I think. Very happy that we're watching, and that's Blackish, Forty Acres, and a Vote. I think my favorite part of this was the animation uh, sequence, yes. which I feel like should just be uh, like excised on YouTube, so I can just like point people to this link when they get to start talking about how voter ID laws aren't a big deal, and I can just be like, oh, oh man, you watch this funny animation instead, and then I won't spin off into a lecture. Uh, how did you feel about Forty Acres and a Vote?
1: Uh, no, I really enjoyed it as well. Um, I thought it was a little scattered in places um, mm-hmm. in terms of Junior's election just kind of went weird directions for me, and Dre's involvement, I think, kept like fading in and out from that plot, uh, which was fine. I mean, I enjoyed like Junior's shifts from being stereotypically black to basically dressing like Malcolm X to inflict white guilt um and the slideshow of, oh, no, I'm sorry, I didn't mean for this picture to be here, and it's a clan rally, and it's it's all very good and funny and very pointed, and I enjoyed that. Um, but mostly I enjoyed the conversation around protest voting and not voting and that kind of apathetic, well, protest voting isn't apathetic, but the commingling of both of those uh, impulses through pop and through um, Jonah uh, was really, really good. And God, David Diggs just continues to be just really hysterical. Um, Just even like physicality, the way he just steps on furniture all the time Mm -hmm. and just to settle. He doesn't sit in a couch. He steps into the couch to sit on the couch. And it's just really fun choices like that, that set that character apart from everyone else. And I really enjoy that. But I enjoyed that the rallying cry for them was Michelle Obama's convention speech which yeah. is a a phenomenal speech in and of itself but also speaks to the sheer overwhelming pop cultural power that Michelle Obama has. Mm-hmm. And so I really enjoyed that that was the solution to that is just like you guys are going to listen to Michelle Obama tell you to do this and she's like <laughs> yep yes yes we are going to listen to Michelle Obama tell us to do this. Uh, so I enjoyed I enjoyed this episode a lot but like you I really want that uh animation animated sequence to really come out and be like, yeah. Yeah.
0: Um Yeah. One question... yeah. October eighth. October eighth is the last day to register to vote in several states for this election. You need to vote. I don't I do care who you vote for. I won't tell you who I think you should vote for, but you'd need to vote and make sure you're registered. Yeah. Check your and state. Know that you are registered. Check your polling
1: place. Provided police. you're a U.S. citizen, of course. Um, if you're listening yes. to this in a different country, please don't commit voter fraud. Uh,
0: yeah. We don't need to worry about that because statistically it doesn't happen. I'm statistically not it
1: doesn't happen, but yeah. I don't want anyone from Denmark trying to influence the election. Um, one question I will have for you is how are you feeling about the office stuff so far this year?
0: It feels very disconnected. Uh, it's yeah. funny, it's reliably it's funny. entertaining which is really carried a lot of it, but it, because you have just most of the characters are in, in the home, and those are the most interesting characters, those are the characters we are most connected to. When we have a relationship like <laughs> Charlie and Diane uh, that brings the two together, that, that works better, but most of the time that's not the case, and so we end up with very, you know, because Dre is no longer very much the center of the entire show, where we're following his life at home and at work, uh, it's much more of an ensemble show at this point. That the stuff, you know, really only following him at work and not following, never following Bo and not following the schools, to school uh, the kids to school. Um, just it, it feels less necessary. Yeah,
1: I agree that it feels less necessary, and it's definitely feeling kind of disjointed for me. Um, the other thing I'm like running into with it is the fact that ever since the. Black-haired woman left.
0: Wanda Sykes?
1: No, 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 not Wanda Sykes, but the white woman who was, like, caught in the middle of these Ah. debates, whose character and actress name I cannot remember for the life of me. Um, She was very funny.
0: Karen, I want to say, like, Karen?
1: I think it was Karen, but yes, she was very, very funny, but she's not there as, like, a comment on everything else that's happening around her, which was what her role was. Mm Mm-hmm. And it ends up making his Dre's boss and then the other guy just feel really even more outlandish without something to moderate it. And I'm increasingly like, why is Dre still working here with these horrible white men?
0: <laughs> yeah, that's true. That, and uh... it's
1: it's just very weird. Even though I like the fact that Charlie's um, back around for re- for whatever reason, and I'm just glad that that Charlie's there. But it just it it just feels very divided and disjointed from the rest of the show, but divided within itself from, I don't have like a moderating presence within that in a lot of ways, which is what that character served to do. And was really effective at doing that. Uh, Cause um, she was the only not crazy person. there.
0: And I think this is, this is Lucy, uh, Kevin yeah. Reitman, Lucy. Yes. Yeah. So that's my bad. Not Karen. Yeah. <laughs> it feels like it, that character felt like someone who would be Karen from the office, but no, it's Lucy. Um, yeah, no, I, I agree. Actually, with that and it, like, and they really are are committing to that with yeah. the, the work colleagues. Before it, the there would be, it was more on the fence, but they've just gone yeah. full out with it this season,
1: right? And like, the boss seemed like more oblivious, but now he feels very in, intentional, yeah, in a different way than he has in like the past couple of in the previous two seasons he feels much more intentional this Mm -hmm. season in the views he's expressing it's not coming from like ignorance or anything it's these are deeply held beliefs that i have type of thing and it's weird now Mm -hmm. and i don't mind a comedic straw man at all because the actor who plays him is really really good at doing that kind of a thing yeah but it just it feels very weird to me anyway right now but okay yeah we'll see
0: We'll see. Um, I will also mention. Uh, I really enjoyed uh, Diane messing with Ruby about her, who she should be voting for. That was that was a lot. Well, of fun. That's
1: that's because Diane's the
0: best. She's, <laughs> she's absolutely evil, but. I love Diane. I love that they've just committed to that and just yes. made the entire family aware. That's, that's terrific. Yeah. Um, well, our last show in this week, uh, in this week in comedy is The Good Place Category 55 Doomsday Crisis. Um, I thought this was a lot of fun and I liked that, uh, we, we do get our Tahani flashbacks here. Right, which I teased episode. like
1: four weeks ago. <laughs>
0: But they they they're terrific. They're really nice. I and I like that they get, you know, like I was talking about last week with the world building, I like that they clarified that there are no more points once you're in the afterlife, uh yeah. which is which gives us some information. I, and I like um I don't know it's starting to feel like this really is a personalized good place pretty much for Eleanor. It's there to make her into a better person. Okay. You know? And for like uh, that's my really... current theory. Okay.
1: No, no, say more about that. I'm I'm interested in this cuz I hadn't thought about that idea, but I like it.
0: Well, yeah, and, and that Michael doesn't know that. Mm-hmm. That's why he's there. But um but yeah, cuz she's becoming a better person and but she was she was too isolated and then Jianyu is revealed to be, you know, a, a, a colleague, shall we say. Um and and that it seems like all of these actions Jianyu isn't Jason or Jason, yeah, Jason isn't isn't causing Sinkholes. Only no. Eleanor is causing sinkholes. Yeah, well, no. And repairing Eleanor them. put her fist through a cake. <laughs> yeah, but what I'm saying is, when Eleanor messes up the, does something that somebody in the good place shouldn't do, right? It messes up the entire world. When Jason right. does the does he just never ever mess up? He, he doesn't do anything
1: publicly that's going to mess with anything to the degree that she does. I feel like, like all he does is lie about being a monk. Which isn't a terrible thing because, again, no points or anything like that. And then he just goes to his butthole and plays video games when I he's not. Guess. Yeah. I mean, he's not doing anything aggressively negative or harmful to anyone.
0: Well, but, but Eleanor. Except
1: lying to Tahini.
0: Well, with Eleanor, she called. She, like, all the stuff that happens in the pilot was not stuff she was yelling out in public. That was stuff yeah. she said in private. That's
1: true. That's true. But I mean, she's still saying like bad things in private. He's not even like talking about anyone else.
0: I don't know. I get, yeah. But yeah. For, I don't know. It just to me it seems like she has a lot of control over what that, what is happening
2: mm-hmm. in,
0: in in the place. But I, 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 mean, I was enjoying this episode. I thought it was another fun one. And I like that we're getting, you know, some, I like that there's an awareness of like how this is fucking cheaty and, and these other characters too. So I thought it was fun.
1: Yeah, I really enjoyed this episode as well in part because I just, I want Ted Danson so far for me, like this is his Emmy submission episode, because I Mm -hmm. very badly want uh, Ted Danson to get an Emmy for this show because I was looking at his like oh, the awards that this man's won, he got nominated for like every season of Cheers, Mm -hmm. and only won twice which is mind-boggling to me, Um, but he's just so funny in this show, like his line delivery is just so perfect, like the I've been practicing my Western Hemisphere brunch pattern. It's just like, hey, <laughs> that's a very specific, like broadly specific, because it's Western Hemisphere brunch, mm-hmm. and opposed to East Coast brunch, which is what he's doing. And but it's very funny. But also, do you have a very private room where I can yell very loudly that no one's going to hear me? <laughs> And it's just it's a, it's a very good writing, and he's just leaning into the really high comedy wackiness of Michael, and I just really really like that. And but like you said, like there's a lot of really good character stuff in this with Eleanor, and her realization that Chidi needs to be happy. He's in paradise. He deserves to be happy, and I I also like that his happiness. Was a thought experiment because he doesn't know how to reverse <laughs> Yeah, <laughs> which I thought was hilarious. Um, but no, I really enjoyed that. I liked how uh, Jason provides a legitimate utilitarianism dilemma that mm-hmm. ends up being a really good example of how that works. Um, but just all sorts of little things like, the the yogurt that tastes like fully charged cell phone battery, mm-hmm. is so great, and I just really loved that joke as well. But it's just the Tahini stuff I think is just really, really good because even though all of her motivations to do these really good things come from a very insecure place and a very frustrated place with the fact that she's never been recognized by anyone else, which is why she's so frustrated and so very kind of passive-aggressive and pretentious because she's trying so very hard to be this philanthropist type of person that it doesn't matter. Like, you did all these good things. We're everyone's going to cut you some slack for not having done them for maybe the least selfish reason. And I really like that. And I liked how she's just juxtaposed against this really horrible sister who would totally be in the bad place. Yeah, definitely. Just So in the bad place, like, she won a BAFTA award for her documentary about her Grammy award winning album. It's just the worst thing in the (laughs) world to me. Um, so I really enjoyed how all of that played out. So this, I think was probably my favorite episode since the pilot. Um, and I just, I feel really confident that the show's on a really good track now.
0: Yep. I I agree. I agree. It's been a strong start to the season. Well, what wins your week in comedy?
1: (sighs) That's a really good question. Um, I will give it to The Good Place this week um, with mm-hmm. uh, Better Things, um, Future Fever, a very, very close second. Um, what about you?
0: Well, I will give some load to Superstore, which was really funny this week. Yes, and it was talk, very fun. Talk about a show growing since its pilot and just with each episode getting a little stronger. Um, a lot of fun. Uh, but I think I'll give it to Insecure. Okay. Which I guess technically is a cheat. It's going to air next Sunday. But, um,
1: but it's already available for you to watch on HBO Go, and if you're an yeah. HBO member, then you have
0: HBO go.: There we go. So I will I will give it to Insecure. Um, but yeah, it, there's a, there are quite a, quite a few really entertaining episodes this week, so that will wrap up our week in comedy. Now we'll take a break and come back with our week in genre and reality.
2: Gold ring on his finger) he wore. it was where everyone could see he belonged to someone but not me on his head
0: week in the genre and reality, we're going to talk a little bit about the Westworld premiere, the original, uh, the Flash premiere, Flashpoint, the Arrow premiere, Legacy, the Frequency premiere, Pilot, we'll talk about Luke Cage season one, and then uh, Noel's going to talk about Best of Enemies from Independent Lens, and we'll round out our week in the genre reality with RuPaul's Drag Race All-Stars, a family that drags together. So first up, Westworld. Now you already gave your thoughts on yes. this one, um, so I'll, I'll keep this one pretty quick. I This is just really not a Kate show. Um, I okay. What was really interesting to me was looking at the reactions online because yes. I obviously had known your thoughts, Noel. Um, I knew uh, listening to the Watching TV with Ryan and Ryan podcast with Mo Ryan and Ryan McGee. Um, they were not fans of, of the show, but pretty much everybody else had a really positive reaction to this Westworld uh, premiere. And especially the next several episodes, so I might feel more secure in this if I'd been able to watch the second episode. But I wanted to turn it off in the first five minutes. Um, wow! Yeah, yeah, I
1: mean, I can understand that impulse because the first five minutes are very aggressive.
0: Yeah, well, because I just, I don't, I just don't believe in the worldview that the first fifteen minutes of this episode posits, and it's this idea that if you that all people if if they really if you could really do anything and you could there were no limits it's this idea that everyone boils down to violence to like their real or, sex. or and sex deck down into like if if they could have any fantasy it's going to they're going to want to kill people or they're and they're going to want to have sex with people and they don't care about consent like that's what this show is positing. Like, there's no, there, there's, there's the one couple that's there who the guy saves the day and shoots the bad guy before he can do his speech, but then he's posing with decapitated, you know, corpses and stuff. Like, like this idea that if, and I would point to Dollhouse as actually, I think, an excellent counterpoint to that where yes there are many people who are like yay sex slaves but there are also lots of other people I would point to the Patton Oswalt character on that show who wants to relive a day with his wife that's what he cares about what he cares about is he misses his dead wife and it's not just about having sex with Eliza Dutra's character it's about reliving having a day and having that interaction I feel like any, there's so many of these shows, um, and and books and films that posit that use like robots and or you know other sci-fi tropes or you know types to say, well, what if you could experience anything or virtual reality or different things like that, and so frequently it's like, well, but what if you really boil it down? If they, the secret desire everyone really has is eventually they're going to all want to just kill people, right? Hunt the most deadly game, (laughs) the deadliest game. Um, Manatees. And I, and I I just don't believe that. I don't think that is the case. I don't think every, I think, I don't think if you go to Silicon Valley and you, and you get all the billionaires together and you say, you get, you can go to Westworld. What they're going to want to really do is kill people. Okay. All
1: right, Elon Musk would just want to go to Mars. Um,
0: yeah. <laughs> and so I don't know, I so so when you when the, with the sh- so that is very much set up as as a premise for the reality of the world. Um, yes. and when when they introduce us to this central figure, this first this first ever host, um and it's revealed to us that she has been brutally raped. And tormented by this one person for 30 years. Comes back. He's been coming there for 30 years. Now not every single day of her life for 30 years. Some sometimes, sometimes she doesn't interact with the guests. And she just has a boring day. But this guy has been coming back 30 years. So he can at his leisure torment. Brutally massacre her family in front of her. And then rape this, this robot. I don't know why they think I want to watch that. I don't know why anybody wants to watch that reality. We all know how this story goes. We've all seen so many different series where if there's artificial intelligence, I don't know, Noel. Do you think the robots are gonna become self-aware? Huh?
1: It's 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 a really good question that whether or not they're gonna become self-aware. Because I mean, it's not like we're not reminded eighty times in the premiere that the robots can't hurt humans so i mean i don't know what could possibly happen i mean it's not like these are fences in Jurassic Park that they're suddenly going to go oh wait a minute
0: yeah <laughs> it's just we've all seen this story before there's nothing yeah. here that's that's different or interesting enough to really capture my interest now by the end of the episode there was a lot more interesting stuff happening where there's like well this is it actually a front there's some more interesting backstory going on that's not what the, the, it's not actually about a wild west town there's others there that's just a front for something else that's a much more interesting story to me but as beautiful as the visuals are as lovely as the costuming and these different things are I'm not interested in watching and, and actually there was less on screen violence and sex than I was anticipating so that was actually yeah. a pleasant surprise and but,
1: it even like a, from a a couple of instances like going further is that there's surprisingly the sex is really minimized uh the violence ramps up a bit mm-hmm. um but the sex is shockingly minimized based on how they were promoting the
2: show
0: yeah well and and i'm i'm very glad for that uh but i i don't feel like i need to see this i feel like if i want to watch this you know what's presented as what the story is going to be i can watch Battlestar Galactica, I can watch Dollhouse, I can watch many other shows. And over on Ryan and Ryan, they made the excellent point that you know what story showed this story really, really well? Spartacus. What happens when you treat sentient beings, in this case, robots, in that case slaves, horribly? It makes you worse. It destroys your entire society and they will rebel and get their free you know, get you know, make their will um felt and have the revenge and they will come back. They might all die in the process, but they're going to kill you too. Like there, there are much more interesting shows that you I could watch if this is all they want. This show wants to be about. And I just think it's a wasted opportunity um, based on what I'm seeing in this first episode. Now, a lot of other people, including some, some you know, friends of the show, people I really respect thought it was terrific. Um, And I was amazed at how much the show was able to get me back by the end of the episode. But that first, I had to really power through watching the beginning, the first like 10, 15 minutes, um, because it just feels like let's watch people be tormented just to watch them be tormented. Um, And that's with the show not, that's with the show leaving a lot to our imaginations um, I'm also not interested in the creator as you know of the robots as as God and wondering about the nature of humanity I'm like I've seen that a million times too so um there's I think a lot of what the catnip was for other people. I feel like I've seen other shows do this more interestingly, and the negatives for me were stronger than I was seeing across the board. Were you surprised sure. by it be having such a universally positive reaction? I was surprised
1: at how I was surprised that. I'm, I wasn't surprised by a positive reaction. I was surprised by the amount of positive reaction. I, th- I thought this was going to be a little more divisive based on having seen the first four episodes. Um, I was obviously wrong, um, which fine, whatever. Um, so that was surprising. But I would like if direct people to like Mo's review uh, over at variety of this beautiful leash spot on. Like uh, I retweeted it and it's it's. Completely and totally accurate uh, in terms of how I felt about the show as well. And based on your response to it, how you felt about the show as well. Um, one thing I will say, and this isn't like in defense of the show in any way, shape, or form, but this idea of baser humanity instincts coming out because we're in this uh, inconse- consequence free zone mm-hmm. um, gets pushed against a little bit. Um, going forward with um, the introduction of the Jimmy Simpson character who wants to just engage in the narrative of Mm -hmm. it as opposed to engaging in the, oh, well, guys, we can just hang out and shoot things and fuck all we want, which is what his friend wants to do. Um, But he wants to, like, go on the random bounty hunt or help the old man with the gold mine, yeah, Mm -hmm. type of thing. Do the Sierra, uh, go do the uh, Humphrey Bogart thing. Uh, yeah. To search for gold in the mountains, um, so there's there's an element of that, but he's the only person apparently in the planet that wants to do that. And I mean, you met the new writer um, in in the show who wants to have, like have a little bit more control in the premiere, and you get his new storyline in like ep- introduced to, to his new his plan, new storyline in episode three, and all it is is just endless violence that mm-hmm. he has planned for people. And Hopkins' character is just like, well, that's a terrible idea, and here's why. And then he it apparently launches into a different kind of more thoughtful, air quotes, thought, endless violence. Um, it's not super clear. Mm-hmm. But it's just... I, I'm fascinated enough by the response to the show to keep going with it after, like, provided HBO continues to provide screeners. Um, if they don't, then I will very quickly just go... Bye show Um, that I'll keep going just to see if it can sort itself out. But for me, this is just a very messy show that has not much to say about really well trawn topics that don't even get more interesting as like the next three episodes progress. I think that there's a lot that the show wants to say about the repetition of narrative. um, I think is something, some sort of weird meta commentary that they're trying to make here, about how we tell ourselves the same stories over and over again. And to that and like, how we do the same things over and over again. So people just pay $50,000 or however much it pays to get into the park just to keep coming back to f- robots and kill robots for no particular reason. Mm-hmm. There's, there's other explorations about this idea of repetition and telling ourselves the same stories over and over again that the Hopkins characters end up, like, really wanting to fight against. But not sure that the show itself wants to do that, at least in the first four episodes. So we'll see. But I'm like you. I very much think like something like Battlestar or Dollhouse does a lot of this in a much more interesting way. And I think a lot of that just comes from the fact that, hey, they have less money and more restrictions in terms of what they can depict and what they can show. So they have to engage in something other than sensationalistic violence and titillation.
0: And hey, Dollhouse introduced me to Dejan Lachman and Amber Gokai, so, so those were, uh, I feel that's like. That's all you need. That's really all <laughs> I need. Frank Rands too. Lots of fun fun performers who got to really stretch their legs and try new things, which you're, these, so far at least, these actors are not getting the opportunity to do. So we'll see what happens as the show moves forward. Clearly it's going, it's. Very well received. It's going to be around for a while, I would anticipate. But um, yeah, we'll see. Um, another uh, opportunity for actors to stretch their legs a little bit is the fr- the Flash premiere, Flashpoint, um, where we see an alternate reality. Uh, were you surprised that this got this got taken care of in one episode? Were you expecting the alt reality created by the season two the season two finale that is to only last for one episode?
1: Well. I think they were very much a damned if they did, damned if they didn't sort of situation with creating Flashpoint. um, Because the longer Barry was in there, the more longer, the bigger ripple effects that this was going to have to have on other shows, Mm -hmm. which they can't reasonably do, at least to Arrow. Like, you can almost get away with the Legends of Tomorrow by just saying... Oh, they were in the time stream when all this happened. So they were like isolated from it in the same way like Eobard was isolated from whatever yeah. by being a time remnant and all that weird time travel magic that the show actively engages in. Mm-hmm. Um, but Arrow doesn't have that excuse. So you'd have to like do something to Arrow for this to be, if they spend any longer in it, you'd have to do it. But resolving it in one episode puts them in position of being like, oh, well, we did this really cool, bold thing and then we immediately undid it. And it's very standard. We wrote ourselves into this big, interesting cliffhanger, and then we had to scramble up from the cliff um, in the premiere. And, that I mean, that's super common to a lot of shows. It's a bad structural thing that happens to any number of shows, and it's been happening to any number of shows for years. Um, so to watch it happen here is disappointing, but they couldn't keep stretching out Flashpoint mm-hmm. without having other ramifications given their loose rules of time travel. So it was fine that they did it, but I mean, I don't think that they had a choice not to do it this way. Um, the decision to have things be different after Barry resets the timeline, I think is an acknowledgement that this is an issue that they needed to deal with. And the fact, well, it wasn't consequence free that he spent three months in an alternate timeline hanging out with his parents. Um, but it's there had to be some sort of a consequence for it, which is nice, but we'll see how that goes and how quickly Iris and Joe reconcile with one another because of Barry's guilt and emotional trauma. But we'll see. Um the episode itself was kind of fine. I enjoyed Cisco being important and terrible. Um, I thought it was really great and. Valdez was really leaning into it, which was a lot of fun to watch him do. But the rest of the episode was just fine. Um, Nick, who we had on for the state, uh, pointed out one weird glaring pothole of what exactly happened to the other Barry from that he saved in the timeline when he saved his mom? Did he just sh- shove that little kid in a closet? Or did he take his place after he aged up, basically? Um a significant plot hole, but I mean, it was a, it was a perfectly okay premiere. Um, I'm more interested in seeing what happens now. How did you feel
0: about it? You're so much kinder to this than I am. <laughs> so much kinder. Are, are um, you rage quitting it like Ryan McGee did? Oh no, no. Okay. I, I I thought it was fun. I liked it in no. general, but like, I actually feel like this could have, would have been, I'm curious what you think about this. Do you think this would have been All better right. as the finale? Imagine the season finale is not this stupid run around a circle thing, but is please kill my mother.
1: I like that significantly more.
0: Right as, after a whole it, season of like, right? You know, no,
1: I mean it would serve as a really good
0: epilogue. Yeah, I feel like it would be, have would been, been way really more, better, yeah. yeah, way more potent after the emotional build-up of an entire season rather than. A summer off but maybe they also don't want us to be thinking about that and to have the that weight of that choice pack the punch that honestly it should yeah but um, anyway so i was thinking about that with this episode but for What's me no um I, I agree the the shenanigans of the alt reality that's always fun when they do it on flash they do a good job with it they usually thread the needle with enough things similar enough that we don't have to like Explain all the time and enough things different that the actors can have some fun. Um, and I thought that was, like the stuff with with um Cisco was you know prime example um, of that. <laughs> a little moment him shooting the basketball and just missing horribly. Right. You know, he does that every time he walks into that office, yeah, you yeah. know, he does. Um, so like that kind of stuff was a lot of fun. Um, I like that we did, didn't see everybody, I like that they didn't, um, like shoehorn in harrison wells and like if they they kind of shoehorned in caitlin but i think not having her there would have been more glaring than just like throwing her in the way they did so i thought that worked well um you mean
1: kidnapping her (laughs) kidnap
0: it's like did you like no i didn't well well i guess oops yeah other people matter (laughs) like
1: that was a fun have i been kidnapped unclear
0: (laughs) yeah yeah then the dynamics of the group remain really strong uh, and the the rapport of the group is, is absolutely still a highlight but the ending where oh you know they don't talk is so freaking contrived it's just another excuse to have a monkey wrench between Iris and another one of the characters. And very easily between Iris and Barry. And can they just let these two be a happy couple together? Because the more they stretch it out, the more that they play, oh, they're destined to be together, they're soulmates, um, in every parallel universe. Um, But then they give some excuse why they aren't together and happy in the current one, the more irritating it is. And... Arrow finally learned at a certain point, oh, we just need to get Ollie and Felicity together because that's what makes the most sense for what we've established with these characters, for the chemistry of the actors, and then they let them be together for a while before messing it up. They need to do that with Iris and Barry too. Because um, for me, that ending did not smack of, um, well, it's showing that there are consequences. Mm, not really. It's showing that they want another reason to <laughs> have drama. It's you know. Closed. Yeah. So I don't know. I was that felt very manipulated to me. So you were just much kinder I was. Right.
1: No, I'm just more focused on the fact that I'm just glad that the Flash is like willing to have consequences for time travel, which they just don't. Mm -hmm. Otherwise, like it's just, oh, Barry changed things. Doesn't matter. Didn't Mm -hmm. affect anything. It's okay. Don't worry about it. And now there's a consequence for it. Um, though your point about the consequence being a very repetitive type of story crutch for the show at this point is well taken.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah. I liked seeing uh, Wally be the Flash. That was fun. Yeah. I, I it did make me kind of wish that they would, you know, give him more of a active role in the action in um, the main universe. It was fun to see Barry draw a diagram with a marker on glass that wasn't three big circles to <laughs> explain parallel no, it was universes. Just a line it was just well, a line
1: was, this was a timeline as opposed to all this was an alternate timeline as opposed to an alternate earth yeah. so I mean you need different you need different shapes for that
0: clearly clearly, <laughs> but yeah, so it was fun, uh, but the ending was a little irritating for me uh and certainly, I was very glad that it was one and done and not like a three or four episode arc that then gets erased and we have to have some excuse for characters to remember it like you know happened with Cisco Um, but yeah I'm I'm still glad the flesh is back
1: yeah yeah I mean I'm I'm excited about a lot of the stuff that they have coming down the pipeline from what I've been told from other people that have talked to the producers like we're gonna get we're gonna get a Gorilla City episode or two-parter and I'm very excited about that because it means more almost talking gorillas (laughs) and who doesn't love big, almost talking gorillas. No one that's you. Mm -hmm. Um, So we'll see how it goes. Um, I'm excited about like a lot of the villains coming forward. Like they're finally doing mirror master. Who's one of my favorite flash villains. Um, I'm not excited about another speedster. And we'll see how Dr. Alchemy plays out. Mm -hmm. Um, I mean, getting Tobin bell to voice it is great. But we'll we'll see how that plays out because I'm so there's I'm so tired of speedster villains I'm so tired of them and we've only done two
0: yeah but, but I'm tired of them yeah too many we need something different we need something yeah. different uh, I do continue to enjoy the casting over in the CW though and that'll continue it they'll take us to our next show here Arrow which had its premiere Legacy um, the because of course on Flash we had uh from Spartacus Julius Caesar and the last season of Spartacus. Um and, and of course on Era we had Cuddy. He's just Cuddy in my brain. Um he's done many other shows, many other terrific performances, but he's just Cuddy. And having the this this premiere really focuses on the team having been fractured and now what how are we moving forward and you know uh where are we at in Ollie's cycle of killing and not killing. But I think the 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 weight lend lent by uh, and the actual the actors, have, excuse me, cutting from the wire as the villain in this episode and, and set up as a significant villain for the season, uh, really really helps um, ground this episode and the level of threat that we feel. Uh, how did you feel about Legacy?
1: Uh, well, a you're talking about Chad Coleman.
0: That's who I'm talking about. Yes, thank you. Yes.
1: <laughs> um, also from The Walking Dead, which I imagine yes. we're. A number of folks will probably recognize. Yes. Yeah. Um, So I think you like this much more than I did, but I'm also just so done with Arrow Mm -hmm. um, that I just, I I focused in on like how very violent that this premiere was. Um, I mean, like, it's not only just like he's killing again, um, but he's just like, he's doing with chairs and the bad guys are just firing like automatic weapons into crowds. And, I mean, it's a, it's a very aggressively violent premiere um, in a way that the show just has not been aggressively violent really since the first season. And that's very much like the vibe that they want for this season is this back-to-basics, we're back on the street, we're doing someone who doesn't have any goddamn superpowers for our villain. And the problem with that is that it makes it much easier to catch him so I need to like have a really good reason for why they're not going to get um, Church really, really quickly. And calling him crafty and smart is only going to get you so far. Like, doing like a death trap with a bunch of charges that blow up a building, but luckily there's a helicopter available, uh, is fine, but you can't keep doing that sort of thing. It gets into that same... Place Even when like last season with like dark, it was just like, well, we don't know how to stop his powers. We've got this thing that's going to stop his powers. Oh, it broke. <laughs> <laughs> um, that, oh, we got to stretch this out some more. God, no, just no. So I'm, I'm vague, I'm vaguely interested to see how they're going to like make it work. But I'm also, I've already said, like, there's a high chance of me just like quitting the show, like after the big crossover. Mm -hmm. Um, which involves aliens this year because they announced that this week. And I just went, right. Stephen Amell loved that, I bet. Um, (laughs) He's just like, I just got rid of the guy with magic powers. We're going to do aliens? Damn it. (laughs) Um, So we'll see. I'm not excited about Oliver killing. Um, I'm not excited that Felicity doesn't care. Um, I'm not excited that Thea is like, it's bad. And I'm not excited about... The new team type of thing that he's going to like cobble together. Um, but we'll see. Maybe the second episode will turn things around for me. But I was not feeling this at all.
0: So, you know what I was excited about? What were you excited about? Church is not Malcolm Merlin. Ah, yeah, no, he wasn't anywhere to be found, was he? No, and probably like,
1: because he's going to be too busy on Legends of Tomorrow. They can keep him
0: please do please please do um and the other thing i'll point to because i absolutely uh, agree actually with this the the lack of concern about death from our heroes and our villains was a marked difference it was like distinct difference from what even the, the most recent episodes have been so it's not like it doesn't feel like a progression it feels like a break um right. and uh we'll see where how that progresses uh we still don't care about the flashbacks so that's still we're gonna be wasting why our did time they with give that him
1: another bad wig like they didn't give him a wig last year why does he have a wig this year
0: why is the show still doing flashbacks
1: why is the show committed to doing flashbacks in season six after this story's done
0: why, why is the show like we all agreed the flashbacks were useless after season two right Like, season two, they actually did, like, very personal, very, you know, potent stuff with more Spartacus alumni. Um, But since then, it's just been, like, the worst part of... Demonstrably the worst part of the show. In my opinion, season one also demonstrably the worst part of the show. The parts of season one that I actually have seen. Um, So I don't know why they're so obsessed with that format. I don't think it helps anything. I also... can't help but like laugh. Like you you can see the season five-ness of this in the fact that not only does Ollie have a hacking into bombs arrow and a grappling hook arrow, he has a parachute arrow. They're just leaning
1: in on the gadget arrows. And I like how they're not like ad- aggressively calling attention to the fact that Oliver has trick arrows now, just like his count- comic book counterpart used to have. He doesn't anymore. But now he does. Yeah.
0: No, it's just like, it's just absurd, the level. Like, like the, I was like, really? Really? We're hacking into a bomb? Really? Well, but then the parachute is what, I was like, there's the, no way that much fabric fit inside an arrow. See,
1: that's the thing. It's just like, I'm kind of okay with like the hacking arrow because they've done that before. Yeah. The parachute arrow, like what you just said, was a line too far.
0: Well, and if you're going to go with that way, that's going more embracing the comic book and the silly of it. Yeah. But then you don't also go shooting civilians like randomly and killing people and standing over their bodies and not having us emotionally connect with that. Like, I don't think you get to have both.
1: Yeah. And arrow has been really bad at dealing when it's in murder mode Really mm-hmm. addressing that sort of thing, like the yeah. season one's just very bad about addressing it. Aside from Diggle finger wagging at Oliver, mm-hmm. like that was the extent of it. Like Diggle stuck around, so he wasn't that upset about it. Yeah. So yeah. yeah.
0: So I did like this more than you, um, yeah. and I do think Chad Coleman helps a lot with it. Um, But but yeah, I I I, I may have come across as too positive in my initial <laughs> statements because I'm a lot closer to where you are with it than I think. I was initially coming across Um, our next show is Frequency, which had its pilot, which you, again, I had already given your thoughts on. I'll keep it quick. Um, This one works better than it should, but not enough. And uh, it was very much like just a pretty straightforward retread of the of the of the movie. And so it was it's hard to get a strong sense of what the show is. You know, outside of that, and we'll see how that continues. I guess if if either of us follow up on the show, um, the, for me there wasn't a strong reason to follow up, but there also wasn't a strong reason to be like I hate it um, either. So you know, like if, if this scratches someone's particular you know sci-fi itch, you know I can see them sticking with it for a while. Um, I do think eventually, like you'd said, after a while, like you just solve the problems and then you have your life. And how does the show? Continue beyond that, um, but you know that's that's a lovely problem to have in a season two and a season three if they get to that point. Yeah, um, I thought it was solid, not great, and uh, but you know Peyton List is a lot more engaging as the lead that I would have thought a couple years ago. Yeah. so I, I think I think she's really grown as a CW presence. They they love her over there at the CW,
1: and rightfully so. I think she's really good, mm-hmm. but she's she's very good in this.
0: Yeah, I think it's a good, it seems like it's a good fit with the characters and the, the dynamic amongst the cast. So and I know I enjoy Terry Farrell, so there's that yeah. as well. Um, okay, let's move on, though, to a show I'm much more passionate about, and that's Luke Cage. I finished up season one. You finished up season one?
1: I did finish up season one.
0: Okay, so the question, I mean, it's obvious Daredevil is the least of the Marvel superhero offerings after their, you know... Such
1: the least.
0: Yeah, after all that ninja BS in Season 2. My question to you is, Luke Cage Season 1, Jessica Jones Season 1, I feel like they have different strengths and weaknesses. I would love your thoughts.
1: Yeah, no, they definitely have very different strengths and weaknesses. And it's funny, because I've been, like, even before you asked me this question just now i've been like trying to figure out the answer to that question Mm -hmm. um and it's it's really difficult because i really love jessica jones Mm -hmm. a whole lot but like the sagginess towards the end kind of like edges luke cage for me okay forward just a little bit but luke cage has its share of problems which we can get into um because its big problem is the fact that Striker's terrible, um, <laughs> just a terribly written character. But um, I like a lot. M- I don't feel like Cage is as Cage doesn't suffer as much from like a structural kind of squishiness that Jessica Jones has. And mm-hmm. I'm kind of a structure nerd, and yeah. this is just like a particular taste type of thing. While I feel like Cage's getting Luke Cage out of New York so everything else can happen isn't the best thing in the world and it makes everything kind of seem manufactured until he gets back. Mm-hmm. Um It's not as bad as everyone in Jessica's life suddenly becomes like a superhero team commando squad. Yeah. And they lock him up in a thing and then keep poking at the purple man
2: mm-hmm.
1: because type of thing as opposed to just taping his mouth shut. Um, so it's one of those things where I, th- I just like barely edge out type of thing. But if you were also going to ask me which one I'd much rather watch again, I think I'd pick Jessica Jones just because I feel like there's more to pick apart in Jessica Jones. Whereas Luke Cage is very forward and overt in what it wants to say. And like Cage just gives a big monologue in like the penultimate episode in a police department and it's very aggressive about what this is the show staking a claim in a very forward way it's just like this is what this has been about this is what we've been talking about for the past 12 episodes haven't you caught on by now type of thing and i like that on some level but it also just explains things very well forward but i also want everyone on luke cage to get an emmy okay so yeah uh, how did you how where are you falling on this i
0: think i am I think I think Luke Cage as a season of television edges out Jessica Jones. Okay. I think Luke Cage earns its 13 more than Jones. Yeah. But I think that the I think that the through line of of the statement and the intent and the messaging and the the philosophy and themes in Jones are much more potent than than, at least for me, as speaking as a white girl, you know, sure. let's be very clear here than than in Luke Cage, and Jessica Jones feels much more distinct in that and is it, it the, by the end of the season, like I feel like that through line is there all the way from the first frame to the last, and it gets very strongly back to that messaging in the very personal way that Jones ends, whereas with Luke Cage as the season goes on, it feels like it gets more. Generic, more superhero and comic-y and it loses some of the intensity of its themes and its messaging. However, to continue going back and forth here, the the I'm more interested in the central figure of Jessica, and Kilgrave is a much more potent villain and like singular like claustrophobic presence over the entire season, but the entire supporting cast of Luke Cage is way better and more interesting than the entire yeah. supporting cast of Jessica Jones. So like it really, for me is the things that each show is best at the other show is solid, yeah. but not great. And, and vice versa. So, um, I mean, cause for me, Kilgrave in his performance in that is just fascinating and really drives so much of, of of the narrative and has so much to say, and the closest that we get with that in Luke Cage is Mariah, and Alfred Wood is fantastic. God,
1: she's so good. The show just oh, it's such a coup yeah. for them to get her.
0: But it's also a character we've seen before because it yeah. is doesn't. It's not as quite as distinct and as you know, like it's it's terrific. Don't get me wrong. But so that that so the closest they come is 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 that as Black Mariah. But they also can do more with her in the next season. They can like that character allows more creativity and flexibility moving forward so like it's the strengths for me for me are very different and i can totally understand like i think i the energy of the music and the kinesthetics uh of the the fights and everything in luke cage trump what we get in jessica jones um the and like the moodiness and tone of the different shows actually i think are the closest thing you can compare between them yeah uh and 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 I think those that's the strength for both shows. I would like you like you. I think I would more re. I think I would rewatch episodes of Jessica Jones and feel more weight and more power. And I would rewatch the season of Luke Cage, like as a season as a whole. Right. You know, it's stronger for Luke Cage. So I've managed to you know talk out both sides of my mouth here for a while why didn't you take over what uh what what do you think
1: no i think i think that this is a really good like analysis and i like your point that the show's basically kind of traded weaknesses and strengths and just went we're really good at this you're not so good at this but it's like they basically just traded those kind of impulses Mm -hmm. and it works out really well like you i feel like like luke cage's supporting cast is just by far and away the start of the show. Like I tease the fact that Theorossi's shades kind of just steals the show for me in a lot of ways. And I'd only watched up to episode seven and then like the back half kicks in and he's just like all in there, just like pilfering it from everyone. Well, and go and ahead. Misty
0: Knight and, and Claire. Can you, believe,
1: can you believe the fact that the woman who plays Misty Knight has done virtually like nothing like bit parts and television episodes like one off She'll be doing more now. (laughs) She'll be doing a shit more now. Like, she's fantastic. And no, Claire is amazing and just like it's really, really good and I just love the supporting cast that they've constructed around him and I like how and this is the other thing where it's a trade-off and like, Hell's Kitchen barely exists in Jessica Jones and that's fine because Jessica Mm -hmm. Jones is a very claustrophobic show. And the wider city does not factor into that. The only time it really does is when they get away from the city to go to the suburbs, which is a very purposeful shift away from city living to domestic suburbanism. And that's really meaningful within the context of what Jessica Jones is doing, whereas Harlem is just, like, there in a way that even Hell's Kitchen is not there in Daredevil in any way, shape, or form. But Harlem is a place that has, like, beats and rhythms And even, like, quick side characters like um, Genghis Khan.
2: Genghis um, khan
1: Genghis khan which is such a great pun. (laughs) I love that. Um, And then the guy that is selling the DVDs of The Incidents. And just all that sort of stuff is, like, it all feels very lived in and very developed. And so when you have it at the end where everyone's shouting for Luke to kick the crap out of Diamondback, it's just great and even then like afterwards the guy just walks by and goes thanks luke and that's it like i mean it's just really good that a lot of shows claim that their setting is another character but luke cage definitely gets to make that claim and own it in a really big way and that's the other reason why like diamondback's such a terrible villain in the second half is that he has absolutely no connection to harlem in the same in a very different way that current math is very firmly established and Yeah, it's just, it's really good. And Mike culture is just fantastic, Um, Mm -hmm. which we already knew he was going to be fantastic for a couple of different reasons, but he's just, he's so into this and it's really great. And even when he's having to say sweet Christmas, Mm -hmm. it's still good. It's still good.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Well, I mean, when you're talking about how much the sense of community permeates the show, and Harlem specifically, what it means for the show to be set in Harlem, and how important that clearly is to the show, to the to the writers and the directors and the creator and the cast and everything. I mean, it, it it's a testament to how much how effective that was. That Method Man shows up as Method Man, and I was all in for that. Right. I mean, it's such a Marvel <laughs> I should have <comic>, hated that.
1: <laughs> right. No, it's a such a Marvel like comic book thing. Like Marvel as a comic book industry would totally have. Method Man show up in a comic book and for mm-hmm. that scene to happen. so But like you said, just the fact that that happened didn't bother me at all. Mm-hmm. And then the fact that we cut to him in a radio studio to do basically the Luke Cage rap.
0: Yeah, which was awesome.
1: Which is awesome and again, like really summarizes that montage of things, really summarizes a lot of what the show is talking about with police brutality and with uh, being black in America, dealing with the police. And just the con, how all of that, like, gets stirred in together is just really, really great. And you almost need someone of Method Man's stature to get away with it is the thing. Mm
2: -hmm.
1: So that's why he's there. And it's okay. Because the other thing is, is like, because of the club, actual musicians just keep circulating in the show.
0: Yeah, that was so cool. Right. <laughs> it was so and that's, great. It was all great. And then well, Dapper Dan, that's the actual Dapper Dan. Right. We it's got the so Delphonics cool. too. And it's just yeah. like, yes. Yeah. Yeah. I, I, so I, I gobbled these up. I do think there's a bit of a sag. I think people are right. That has too many yep. episodes. Uh, not nearly as much as Jessica Jones. And yep. certainly not nearly as much as, especially the second season of Daredevil. Um, but again, what I keep coming back to is what makes, what makes me want to go back to Jessica Jones, which makes me want to go back to Luke Cage and watch more of these where, whereas I can get a lot of space and not really miss Daredevil is that they are about something. They have something to say. They have a point of view and they have something to say. And that is something that the TV that I engage with that makes me want to keep watching and and analyze, like that makes us spend insane amounts of hours every week watching and thinking about and talking about and writing about television is television that has something to say. Daredevil doesn't have anything to say as of right now, or it hasn't in its first two. Every now and again, it flirts with that idea and then it comes, comes away from it. But Jessica Jones most certainly did. And so did this first season, the blue cage and using superhero superhero and comic book aesthetics and storytelling As a way to talk about life and to talk about perspectives and to talk about, you know, what whatever the creators are passionate about is a much more effective and powerful way to structure a story, a TV show, a movie, anything than just pretending like superheroes is the end is the end all and be all rather than a genre with which you can explore your world.
1: Right. And, I mean, this was something else I was thinking about before we discussed it, and I'm glad you brought it up, is, like, Daredevil has themes Mm -hmm. that it wants to think about every now and then. Like, the the first part of, like, the Punisher, the Punisher arc within the second season is a really good example Mm -hmm. of, we've got some ideas, we're going to think about them, but we're not really going to do anything with them. Um, And it reminds me of Arrow in that way, in that Arrow has themes, but it doesn't want to, like, engage them. It wants them as window dressing, like really nice curtains that they hang up to frame their narrative of what they want to say, but they don't actually want you to pay attention to the curtains. Mm -hmm. Whereas, like you just said, like Jessica Jones and Luke Cage have an ideological lens through which they're looking at the world and using these archetypal type characters of people with superpowers to explore those ideas. And I mean, it's something that's ingrained within like Jessica Jones is like from her start as a character within the comic books, less so with like Luke Cage, where it's just like, Oh, black, black, black exploitation films are really popular. We should make a character that's based on that is like the genesis for that character. And then just steadily like the characters developed, but now we can use Luke cage to talk about black lives matters. We can use it to talk about policing within black communities and like police corruption. We can do all of this through this character and his world. And that's a much more, like you said, just it's a, it's a much more interesting way, but it's also how these characters that have so much convoluted backstories from how they were conceptualized by their creators, but also just how they've been used within their original mediums, that they're flexible and bendable enough that they can be used to talk about bigger things than being, well, ninjas and a literal plot hole.
0: (laughs) Well, and it's just, these are, these are characters that are shaped by their experiences and shaped by their world. And they are part of that. And so their ideology, their, the way that they view their world is shaped by what they've seen. So you have these fleshed out characters, you have these fleshed out relationships, but they tie directly into what the show is trying to address and, and, and engage with the topics and the themes and the the stories and worldview that it, it it is interested in exploring. In Daredevil, you've got like I'm really invested in, for example, Matt and Foggy's friendship. But that stops with their friendship that doesn't then speak to a larger statement about how male
1: friendship or whatever,
0: anything. Yeah. Yeah. And, and so the, my window into television tends to be characters and I need to care about the characters. I need to be invested in them. I don't need to think that they're good people, but I need to be interested in them. And when you own in, in, when you have characters that are engaging, interesting, then I will go with you. When you add on, to- and that's what to me makes interesting and good TV. And then when you add on top of that, interest in a larger exploration of, of the world, and exploration of of who these people are, what who they are, why they are what who they are, and how that shapes their perception of everything, and how that is reflected in the, the creators and in you know how the writers and directors and everybody involved in the (laughs) hundreds of person process of making a TV show. Like when all that comes together to not just be a story about these characters, but also a larger exploration of the world and how these people see it. That's where a lot of shows for me transition to great. And some shows try to do one without the other. And I, I think if you try to have themes, but you don't, I don't care about your characters, then I'm, not, I'm just not going to keep watching. Right. And if you only have interesting characters, but you don't it, it, use them to explore larger topics, usually I'm not going to remember your show as much. It's going to just be something I enjoy, but I don't keep coming back to and keep living in and really diving into. Um, so I certainly... I, like, for me, Jessica has has the lead and the villain i'm more interested in luke has the entire supporting cast i'm more interested in but they're both engaging in their things they both want to be great i don't know that daredevil wants to be great
2: no
1: i don't think it does either i mean i don't think that it's invested in being that like it's very driven by wanting to be a really well done action show Mm -hmm. which is
0: fine which is is good there's lots Um, of people who want that
1: Right. And I mean, I remember like last year with like Jessica Jones and everything also had like the second season Daredevil to compete with. Mm -hmm. And it's just I remember like people being really frustrated by the fact that over at TV.com when Caitlin was very much like Jessica Jones is a significantly better show than Daredevil is. Mm -hmm. And or at least especially compared to season two. And people are just like, well, that's just dumb. (laughs) <laughs> obviously you're wrong type of thing. And mm-hmm. it's just like, well, A, there's not really a right wrong here. But B, yes. <laughs> <laughs> it, it is a significantly more interesting show depending on like what your priorities are. So it's just like, you like generic uh, ninjas and a very muddled arc for a major female character, uh, then yeah, go go watch Daredevil and um I'll go sit and watch Jessica Jones a bit more and we can talk about all the types of toxic masculinity that circulate through that show. (laughs)
2: Mm
1: -hmm. So yeah, I just, I'd much rather have something that wants to address things um, personally as well. And I don't even necessarily like you need characters to be really interesting. As long as the story you're telling is more is much is serving like a bit of higher purpose i can get kind of get away with a more like modern modernistic pr- modernism approach of well the story and the theme is significantly more important
2: type mm-hmm.
1: of thing and i can get away with that depending on like what the show's doing and what the show wants to be doing um but i like it when the two merge together really really well and jones and cage both do that exceptionally well by and large yeah. so I'm eager for a second season of Luke Cage, which hasn't been renewed, and we probably won't get until after they do The Defenders, which leads me to my next two-pronged question for you. Is, one, you even remotely excited about Iron Fist, because no no one is. No Um, one. Well, I'm sure someone is who really is invested in Iron Fist, but I'm very concerned that Iron Fist is just going to be Daredevil kind of rehash in terms of its approach and everything. Um, But So you've answered question one. Question two, then, is how do you feel like these two characters that we've gotten to know and Luke Cage we've gotten to know probably better than any other character aside from anyone on Daredevil, since he's gotten like three or four extra episodes through Mm -hmm. Jessica Jones, uh, is then how do you feel about these two very characters who are very ideologically centered, at least within their own shows, transitioning to what will essentially amount to a big team up show where they will fight some ambiguous threat that is probably going to be electro ca- crawling out of that weird tomb thing
0: um i think that's going to be a shorter run too right it is it'll be I, I i think
1: that it's supposed to be like a shorter run of if like Matt were here he'd something. be able to tell me yeah. i think it was supposed to be like 6 to 8 episodes
0: yeah i feel like they're just going to go for it to be fun and right. that's okay and i can yeah. go i can you know focus in on the themes when you have the time to really do that engage in the the similarities and the differences and the tension brought out by these very strong personalities when you do the team up and how they help, how they amplify each other in positive and negative ways and just have it be fun that's all i need from defenders uh, i would love to see you know actual lawyering from our lawyers like I spent so much of Dirty Season 2 Reaction Time complaining about. Um that just seems like a really organic way to bring these characters together. Um but, you know, we'll see. We'll see what they do. I just I really don't care about Iron Fist. If it, if they had made Danny Asian Asian. Yeah. That yeah. I would be much more interested. Yeah. But I mean I don't have anything against Finn Jones, who of course is really eutrophic as Loras on Game of Thrones when they gave him stuff to do. But I just, yeah, I don't know how it's supposed to be that different from Daredevil. And, and the reading, the synopsis of like billionaire, billionaire comes back to reclaim his company. I'm like, Oliver Queen. Yeah. (laughs) He comes back with ninja skills. (laughs) Like, um, huh. Yeah. Okay.
1: Um, it's interesting that you said like lawyer to like bring everyone together when Kate, Claire will unite them just like Coulson did.
0: <laughs> yeah, but I mean, like, they ha- Claire,
1: Claire is the sticky glue that brings them all together.
0: <laughs> I'm just glad they actually let her be a character in this.
1: Isn't wasn't that great? Like, it was. Oh, God her calling Luke out on everything? Terrific, so great.
0: <laughs> yeah, we we love her. Sorry, Nelson Um, I will say low point. Mm, Probably the little point of the, of the season for me was actually episode four, directed by Vincenzo Natale, who y'all know I love, but right. um, I don't care about how people got their superpowers. And it ended up being very significant for later in the season, so I'm glad that there was a reason I sat through it. But that really did not be, need to be a full episode. So when everybody else that I was seeing, at least online reactions online, were very positive for that episode, I was just flummoxed because I thought it was not good at all. It's fine.
1: Um, I think it's definitely like one of the weaker episodes of the show. Um, but I, I mean, it's one of those things where I just go, all right, well, we've got the origin story out of the way and we got it out of the way very early, which I was happy about. Um, but I was just like, man, nah, yeah, nah. I'm much more interested in a Luke's hero's journey, but b Mariah's villains journey. Cause I mean, mm-hmm. they're both very parallel tracks of denial, acceptance, embrace, blah, 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 blah. Yeah. Joseph Campbell. We all know this.
0: <laughs> I was like, I would much rather be watching Luke Sift through rubble. Cause we already know how the story's going to, like, it's, we know how the story is going to end yeah. the entire episode. It's not some surprise. And they take the whole episode to get us there. So, yeah, I, the flashbacks for Codmouth and, uh, and and for Mariah worked way better for me.
2: Yeah.
0: Um, any other thoughts on, on the season?
1: I'm just going to complain about Stryker some more. Um,
0: okay. Just, I thought the performance was deliciously scenery-chewing.
1: The performance is great. I don't have an issue. I have an issue with the writing, which is just crutched in either really bad villain cliches of, you know when a rattlesnake's most dangerous— a, you're not a rattlesnake. You're a diamondback. Mm-hmm. Two, is <laughs> there's a character reason for him to be quoting Bible verses all the time? But it's such a bad thing. It's mm-hmm. aggressively ticky and annoying, and it prevents me from like having any way to like engage Stryker beyond the scenery chewing.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: And even like it's a character just built in references. Like how do we meet him? He starts quoting the warriors. Mm-hmm. and it's just like there's no there there for that character beyond his relationship to Luke which is the most interesting thing about him but also really predictable and immediately apparent when Shades is just like oh no Diamondback has much bigger plans and I just went oh, are the two black guys going to be related to each other god damn it uh.
0: <laughs> which of course Luke can only remember when he physically went to the church then right. he could remember everything very clearly Right in <laughs> hindsight
1: um but I also, but you bring up the church thing, and I really liked how that whole thing was shot and edited together. Yeah. It was yeah. a really nice, nice, good way of doing that, and I enjoyed how that was really well done. But it's just, Stryker was just a really bad vacuum. Stryker entered a really bad vacuum where Cottonmouth is A, established in Harlem, but B, also a much different kind of performance. And then it's just like, but you've got Mariah right there. <laughs> Mm-hmm. just 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 to let her embrace it much more quickly <laughs>
2: mm-hmm.
1: and then it's just like and now i just want season two of both of them both shades and mariah taking over Harlem.
2: yeah
1: and i'm so excited about that idea and but i also like the fact that they just called out the ridiculousness of the diamondback suit of are you a pimp stormtrooper
0: <laughs> <laughs> I, here, that's what i'll say i will say that season two of Luke Cage. Uh, is on much steadier ground than Season 2 of Jessica Jones.
1: Yes. They're going to have a
0: really hard time recapturing the magic without Kilgrave. Right. um, And finding another villain for her that will be in any way as powerful. Like It'll have to be completely different, but that'll have anywhere near the weight that's going to be a real challenge for them. Whereas Season 2 of Luke Cage, you can see exactly what that's going to be and how it can be really successful.
1: Right. Season 2 of Jessica Jones, I almost just need them to do Rockford Files, basically. Mm -hmm. Oh, I would be
0: so there. All procedural. Right. Right.
1: They just need, like, season two to be, like, multi-part procedural cases. Like, it is in the comic book.
0: Yeah.
1: For her, it's just, like, do two or three episode investigations throughout and Mm
0: -hmm.
1: call it. But they're not going to do that. Yeah, they're not going to do that. But they they should. should.
0: (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Okay, well, we have gone super long on this. We should move on to our next show, which is right. Independent Lens, yes. Best of Enemies, uh, very fitting for our debates that are going on at the moment. Right, which is what the
1: um, documentary wanted to get into. You didn't have a chance to watch this, and while I- text- I will be making
0: time for it next week, though. Okay. I'm very excited about it.
1: All right, well, you may be less excited after I talk about it, which oh, is no. fair. Yeah, <laughs> Um. so- Best of enemies is a documentary that came out last year and is airing on an air as like the season premiere of independent lens. And it deals with ABC deciding well ABC's in the it's 1968 ABC's in the basement of the ratings as one of the talking heads notes that if there were a fourth network in 1968 which there wasn't there was just three uh, ABC would have been fourth <laughs> mm-hmm. because ABC for the longest time was like the network that nobody watched like no mm-hmm. no one watched abc abc came very late um compared to cbs and nbc mm-hmm. and so's like it struggled for a very long time and its programming in 1968 as the documentary points out was very bad like i mean they had the flying nun <laughs> said oh come on no. field no 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 <laughs> have you have you watched the flying nun Kate? i have, i have not watched the flying okay. nun Okay.
0: dvd show the <laughs> flying nun <laughs>
1: If we can get someone to talk about it. <laughs> <laughs> so anyway, so the Republican national conventions roll around for 1968, and ABC decides to do unconventional, conventional convention coverage. Okay. By avoiding doing like wall-to-wall coverage, which was the norm then. is like the broadcast networks just scrapped their programming and did wall-to-wall coverage of the conventions. Gavel to gavel was how it was called. And ABC just went, well. No. What we're going to do is we're going to get William F. Buckley, the conservative iconoclast, and we're going to get Gore Vidal, the guy who wrote Myra Breckenridge, and we're going to have them discuss things for a little while, and that's that's going to be our coverage, basically. And so the documentary is about them debating so you get a lot of like archival clips that took a significant amount of time to like find and put together for the documentary. And the problem with the documentary is that it ends up bordering on meta commentary in that it very much wants to position these debates as the beginning of political punditry on television, which is an accurate statement to make. And I don't think anyone would dispute that because immediately after these debates were ratings gold for ABC. They shot to the top with these uh, conversations between uh, Vidal and Buckley. Like, just immediately went to the top. Massive ratings. Uh, Is that everyone started copying them. So you got a lot of point-counterpoint type stuff, and it leads to, like, SNL's thing of, Jane, you ignorant slut.
0: Love it. (laughs) Right.
1: I mean, that's where this comes from is like, yeah, it's grounded in this impulse from these two debates Mm -hmm. and not these two debates, these like eight to 10, like debate sessions that were held between these two men. And that is an accurate statement to make. What is missing from this documentary is any in all sense of context. So this idea that like Buckley is in favor of the Vietnam War that's being propagated by a Democratic president at the time. Or this idea that a lot of like the law and order type of Democrats would end up being what would help Reagan become president later in the 80s is totally absent from this. So like Daley, uh, the mayor of Chicago, his law and order type of approach, and they even show him at the Democratic National Convention saying law and order, is contextual, Is doesn't have any context for why a splintering Democratic Party and how Buckley kind of figured into a lot of that is completely gone. It's just Buckley is a conservative, Vidal is a liberal, this is what happened. And it Borders on, like I said, meta-commentary, because this is exactly what happens with political punditry today, is that there's very little context. It's your left, your right, just yell at each other for however long you need to yell at each other. And that's where, like the documentary, I don't think wants to be contextual, lacking context, because they talk about Vidal's life, they talk about Buckley's life, but they don't give a lot of context for either of their lives, in a lot of ways. like They just say that Buckley's family is like from the frontier, but it doesn't say which frontier. It's just, they're from Texas. And they rose up through the ranks and everything, but it's just like, there's no context for a lot of this documentary because they just want to really focus on like the cable punditry aspect of it, which isn't super interesting. And as soon as you get to Vidal calling Buckley a crypto-fascist, a crypto-Nazi, and then Uh, Buckley calling Vidal a queer in 1968 on ABC, on live TV. That's like the climax of the documentary and immediately loses all air after that, because it's been building to this very iconic moment. And the most interesting thing that comes out of it is the former network head going, nobody knew if we could say queer on the air. But I mean, you could definitely not say goddamn on ABC in 1968, on live TV because that wasn't, that's not okay. But yeah. So it's a very weird documentary that I was very excited about. But by the end, I was just like, this isn't as in insightful as I was
0: hoping it was going to be. Yeah. Oh, that's disappointing. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I I still probably check it out because I'm not very knowledgeable about the topic, but I appreciate having that. Perspective going yeah. into it to keep a more uh, curious mind because I, I I find I haven't seen enough documentary and nonfiction yet to really have my my radar up for that stuff. I tend yeah. to just kind and of watch go oh huh, and then people right. like will talk talking to me about it be like well, but you notice they didn't talk about be like oh oh, right, I shouldn't just accept what is presented to me like I wouldn't in any other genre of television.
1: But like we've discussed, it's very easy to do that with documentary because in part we're kind of trained to do that. And, I mean, that was always, like, my kind of favorite thing. Like, when I was teaching, like, breakout sessions and we would do, Mm -hmm. like, a documentary section, I would show a clip from March of the Penguins. Mm -hmm. A, because I love penguins. And (laughs) B, it's a very good way to say, all right, this is obviously a nature documentary about penguins. What is this really about? And you just watch undergrads' minds get blown when you just go, well, it's actually just about reinforcing nuclear families and the bond of families. This is why like Christian groups went to March of the Penguins is because it's a very family-driven, fam- pro-family message embedded within this. And I think that's one of the things that you— the ideological lens through which documentary operates is always something that we should be aware of. And I think that that comes through a lot, but it's something that you have to remember to do. And I also took a documentary. God, I sound so pretentious. I also took a documentary class in undergrad. So the entire thing was about breaking down the facade of objectivity and how that just is completely and totally made up. And you shouldn't take anything at face value, face value, just like you just said, but that's just something that you have to pick up on like, think about. And the same way that we do with fiction scripted programming now.
0: Yeah. And I think that's a fabulous way to transition to our last show. And our oh. reality, RuPaul's Drag Race All-Stars. Because Family That Drags Together had a lot of drama. It had a lot of family issues. And uh, I'm guessing you had a strong reaction. So go for it. Why is Roxy still on the show, Kate? <laughs> Cause it has become RuPaul's best friend's race. Oh God! I mean, I wasn't
1: as upset as a lot of people in my feed were, like I, that were watching on like west Co- on East Coast time or like slingbox slingboxing it through East Coast because more people from like the West Coast were watching it in my feed than were watching on the East Coast. But I was seeing all the tweets about it, and I just went, "Well, this isn't surprising." But then I watched it, and I just went, "Oh God, this is terrible!" Because the reasoning for it, it's bad. It's just like, but you're my friend. And it's just like, Ugh. Anyway, you were about to say something. Go ahead.
0: Well, here's the thing. For me, it was less frustrating this week than last week uh-huh. because Detox knew to feel bad about it and knew that it was wrong but couldn't, you know, couldn't help. But make that same decision like like the guilt was all over, you know, all over. I guess his face at that elimination, her face at the elimination going like I just I can't I can't send Roxy home because this is one of my best friends for 13 years. And I know that I'm supposed to and I know that that based on previous performance, she shouldn't be here, but I can't. And I feel really I'm gonna start crying because I feel so bad about it. You know, like I at least that felt very genuine, whereas the previous week Alaska was trying to pretend that it was like like it was exactly the same thing last week, but but um it felt what much more phony. Sure. Alaska's like I see that. elimination and everything, you know. And it, it felt like the way that Alaska was like, one person has been amazing and redefining dragon I was like, no, you guys are not redefining You're really, really amazing But you're not redefining drag every single week You just are trying to butter up Tatiana So that you can eliminate her And seem like you're really praising No, it should feel very calculated This, at least, Detox had the, had the good sense to feel bad <laughs>
1: <laughs> No, I can understand that But it's also just like Roxy doesn't need to be here any longer And she's gonna get through to... She's like she doesn't need to be here any longer.
0: Well, there's only one more episode, right? So oh, is there? Oh, yeah. Well, then,
1: well, then it doesn't matter because Roxy's not going to win.
0: No, Roxy's not going to win.
2: We all Alaska's know Alaska's going to win. Gonna
0: win. <laughs> now, do we have any thoughts on Alyssa and this, and and the like, the stuff with the families? Like, how'd you feel about that? Right.
1: Well, I mean, I hate saying this because mm-hmm. it's not their fault, but it just all felt very convenient. Mm -hmm. that we had family day on an anniversary of not one but two deaths
0: yeah (laughs) and I just
1: went well that seemed really contrived producers
0: (laughs) yeah well and the first couch scene with Alyssa and uh and Tabby yeah Yeah. Tabby I was not sure I was like watching this being like is this like are they acting is this like for real but then I, I, as it went on it felt more and more genuine and yeah. like because you could feel the strain yeah. it wasn't just like well let's have some strain and then hug it out and now everything's good like that the way that the, that developed over the episode you know really that felt much more genuine and i and i liked that there was more space it felt to me it felt less contrived overall because then there was there were these two anniversaries of parents' deaths, but the relationships were very different between those contestants and like where they were at in their process of dealing with their parents' death.
1: Yeah, yeah, um, I agree that it. I didn't really have an impulse that it felt forced. At least with uh, Alyssa and Tabitha, it felt like super genuine to me from the start. Um, mm-hmm. So I was grooving on that, um, but yeah, I just it felt. I'm still I'm ran, running into the same issue that we had when we talked about the when we did the um, Make You Watchathon. Is that it's like the the repetition of the formula is like has just started to like I warm me down. So I'm glad we're at like at the end. So it was just like oh the makeover episode, oh. Well, at least there's no twist to the makeover episode. That's nice. <laughs> Which I appreciated. Um, I, I, the only thing I will say that I was really disappointed about is that we didn't get more of them, like, voguing. I wanted more of that. I, I was really surprised and flummoxed at how brief that
0: was. Yeah, me too. I would have loved to see a lot more of that. As opposed... Or to have, like, a, a, a history of a, a voguing from you right. or something.
1: Yeah. Uh, so that just felt very... I just haven't been, like, super impressed with this season. And
0: okay.
1: I I, I just in terms of like, I enjoyed the revenge aspect of it a lot from a structural standpoint. And I thought that was really good and fun.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: Um, but yeah, I just, I haven't felt like really into this season. I think maybe it was just burnout from having done three seasons all in a row. Yeah. And then we did this. And mm-hmm. so I'm really glad that
0: <laughs> you're ready only... to get into the end yet. Yeah. I'm
1: ready to be at the end, but yeah, You've been enjoying this much more than I have, which I'm happy mm-hmm. about.
0: Yes, definitely. And um, the only thing I wanted to mention uh, was I just, I i think they really lucked out with all the family members. Yes. Because on the whole, it was just really sweet to see them yes. interacting. And they kind of gave you more information about each of the performers, each of the queens. And um, I thought they were such good sports about it all. Which is good. Um, And it also kind of highlighted, I don't know if it was an intentional thing, but it really kind of highlighted to me that, because a lot of of queens have very difficult relationships with their families, which is something that has been shown on Drag Race over and over again. Like very supportive families, but also some... Queens who just really don't haven't had that, or at least their parents or their family members haven't gotten to that point yet. Um, this was really highlighting to me that you fact you had such completely supportive mothers and sisters for these queens, that's having a support network, even just emotionally, clearly is a big part of why they are where they are, and they're, they are able to be so terrific. I mean, I don't think it's a coincidence that the people who are in All-Stars have at least emotionally supportive family. Yeah. No, Makes I it, think that, yeah. Yeah.
1: Yeah. I think that's really accurate. And even just like personality wise, seeing like Alaska's mom.
2: Yeah.
1: It's just like, Oh wow. See where you get a lot of this from now. Cause she's, <laughs> she's kind of sassy. <laughs>
0: yep. 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 Um, speaking of last thing, we got to talk about Alaska. Uh, that, how about that meltdown? That was, I, l- yeah. I love the description. That's not attractive.
1: Yeah, I don't know where that came from, and it was very weird to see that. Yeah, and I, it's like I, you're
0: going to go throw a tantrum. Do you need like? Should you just go hang out with the the VP debaters because they were just squabbling like children as well?
1: Yeah, I, yeah, it was really weird, and I'm not sure what was happening there. As if the producers were just like, we need you to do something, Mm-hmm. or they're right. like so this was did a very they feel it contrived to you well no that's the problem is I couldn't tell Mm -hmm. and that was like where the I don't want to say the frustration just the question mark came from is I don't know where this is coming from like within the confines of this narrative as opposed to I just really want this and we were supposed to hook it to the the drug issue that was very briefly mentioned and then just yeah type of thing um and I feel like that that's, they wanted like to hook that up and it just didn't come through in the editing as in, I've clawed back from this, from fame, and now I just really, really want this. But it feels like a very immature response to that.
0: The thing for me is we haven't had to see Alaska in that position. Yeah. Really like ever. This is true. And so maybe that's what she's like when she doesn't. Get her way, yeah, and when she doesn't, you know, and she just makes she works her ass off to make sure she's not in that position often, yeah. But yeah, that can you imagine dealing with that on a regular basis? If like, like talk about the drama they were having or the 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 toxic atmosphere in the workroom from some of the fifi stuff, yeah. Imagine if Alaska had been in like put herself in in a position to be in the bottom more frequently you'd want her out of that workroom immediately.
1: That's true. That's very, very true.
0: It also, for me, highlights the grace with which somebody like Alyssa Edwards has been eliminated several times or been in dating... You know, these are the queens. Like, Roxy, in the bottom, is not throwing a tantrum every time and acting like a spoiled brat. So, like, the so there there are queens that have gone in and out of the top and the bottom, and no one has behaved like, like that. And I, I think it would have been... I think it was a shame that that didn't get to be explored very much because so much of the time was taken up with Alyssa's uh, emotions surrounding uh, surrounding her mother's death. And, you know, like just the the family, that stuff, which deservedly got the screen time. That's what needed to get the screen time. But it's like you also want it to be like a two part or somehow so that they can really explore this stuff with Alaska because, you know, they're not going to end the next.
1: Right. That's that's a good point. That's a good point.
0: Um, anyways, well what wins your week in genre and reality?
1: Uh Luke Cage, I think even though yeah. It was last week, but it's it's Luke Cage just based on the fact that I think we talked about it for like 30 minutes.
0: Probably we did. <laughs> Luke Cage gets it for me too. Now we'll take a break and come w- back with our week in drama. time. week in drama, we're going to talk a bit about the elementary premiere. Folie a Deux, no, uh, no Tomorrow had its premiere pilot, Queen Sugar, as promised, and we'll wrap things up with Halt and Catch Fire. You are not safe. So first up, elementary came back. Nobody was talking about it, but it came back. Um I thought it was fine. What did you think?
1: Fine is like the epitome of describing that premiere. Um, it set up what's going to be our central tension for a little while, which is this idea that Joan is maybe getting, like, wanting something else, something more, which is an interesting thing to pursue. Like, I'm interested in this idea. I'm interested in what Lucy Liu can do with that idea as Joan because um, she's just done such phenomenal work on the show. And I just don't know that I necessarily need it through Shenwell, And I I don't know what to do with that character right off the bat. And um, his place within, like, Joan's, like, life is very much, it felt very much like, well, we haven't established enough of a personal life for Joan. Uh, We're going to make up this guy that she saved. Yeah. (laughs) Is how I very much felt about Shinwell. Um, And that was kind of frustrating, but it also just speaks to the larger issue that Joan just, anytime they try to give Joan a life, like, they've already forgotten she has a half-sister (laughs) apparently. And so I just went, I'm interested in this conflict, but a whole thing of a Mad Bomber and two Mad Bombers, and I just, I didn't care. Um, So I'm interested to see, like, what kind of an interplay this is going to bring forward to the show. But apart from the giant pile of chewed gum, there wasn't a whole lot of, like, fun weirdness in this episode, and there was no Clyde. Uh, so it was perfectly fine. It was the show operating on standards, but it was a very set y type of episode. And so kind of kept it from like going any further beyond fine. Uh, you said it was perfectly fine. Why was it perfectly fine for you?
0: Um, I, I, I like the idea of... I like that Sherlock notes that it's about time for Joan to start getting listless. Uh, which I think... It was it was fun. Instead of so just kind of showing that and then he picks up on it, the fact that he's been thinking about this already, I think, is n- notable. Um if the show had any sort of track record for doing well by Joan, storyline wise, I would be more encouraged. Hopefully they get it right this time. Uh they do much better with Sherlock's extend- extended family and issues and you know, recurring figures and everything than they do with Joan. Uh, I would love this to be the season that they fix that. But we'll see. I'm glad the show's back I I enjoy the, the rhythms of it. I enjoy the rapport between our leads. Um, and I just laugh when I think about how much, for me, Elementary has aged well compared to Sherlock. But, um, yeah, I don't have much more than that. Yeah.
1: I mean, I don't even think we can, do we get a new episode this week because of the debate? No, because of the debate,
0: it's off, and it'll be back the week after. Uh, CBS
1: just doesn't care about their Sunday shows
0: at all. Well, fair (laughs) enough. A show I don't really care about that much uh, is No Tomorrow, which had its premiere. But I'm so
1: eager to hear your thoughts about
2: it.
0: Yeah. um, This was actually much more in the vein of Crazy Ex-Girlfriend than I thought it would be. That's really what I felt, the connection. And and for me, because when, when you talked about it previously, you really keyed into the Joshua Sass character, or Sassy, however it's pronounced, um, of, of Xavier, um, with X. With X. Xavier. With an axe With an axe Xavier with an axe. Yeah. Um, but for me, it was all about, I'm going to say her, because I don't remember her name right now, our female lead. But but this, um, the, the sense of of a of doom of is this her last opportunity to to find something that she feels like she's missing in her life before like is, is 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 her life slipping away from her, and she's going to turn around, and she's already getting up to thirty, and she's going to get to forty, and like her life's going to be over, all this stuff like that. And so her, provided the asteroid doesn't kill them, provided the asteroid doesn't kill them, but like her sort of freaking out a bit and and reaching out for anything. Um, and so I, I for me, the performance that really centers this is her, even more than Evie. him. Yeah, yep. Evie. Yeah, even even more than Xavier. Um, the show's also not subtle with the warnings that this is probably not a good idea, but I think she's charming enough to make it work. Um, now I don't think I have enough space in my viewing schedule to keep up with it. to week, but I could see this being a fun, like sick day marathon after sure. if it builds up on the, on the DVR and if they can really play off of the chemistry and the, the fun, the energy that, that the leads have, I think that could do a lot. And um, I think there's also potential for a fun twist on the show if, when the after doesn't come in eight months, you know, unless the show yeah. doesn't get picked up and then it could and that'd be a fun yeah. would end, but like of, of, it didn't come. And then he, this guy who was a copywriter <laughs> goes like, Oh no, I've blown my life savings and the, the world didn't end. And Oh God, what do I do now? I feel like then that could be made for a fun second season where she has to convince him to act to get back to that spirit so i I could see there being more legs in this than it feels like there should be uh certainly more than something like frequency so i thought it was charming but not enough that i'm going to season pass it
1: right and it's actually a good point that you mentioned like watching it on the DVR for our american audiences um this is a friendly reminder that you can't watch cw shows on hulu anymore no um so you either need to like watch it like DVR it, watch it live or get the CW app, which is um, terrible, which is really awful. Um, yeah. I've used like CW seed in the past and it's just a miserable experience, mm-hmm. which is a good way for you to know that we weren't being paid to remind you, <laughs> this, <laughs> which I realized immediately, like, this sounds like paid sponsored product, but no, the CW seed app is just really awful. That's bad. Um, but if you don't, if you just want to wait, then you just have to wait until the show ends and then like two weeks it's on Netflix in
0: May. There you go. There you <laughs> there go. You go. Um, you're not season passing this one. Right? You're not going to be keeping up with it.
1: Um, Probably not. Um, I may check out like the next couple of episodes, mm-hmm. but that might be it. It just okay. kind of depends on like the viewing. Like, I mean, Halt and Catch Fire is like wrapping up. Mm-hmm. So something's going like maybe slide in depending. Yeah. But we'll see. Yeah.
0: Okay, well, um, Nora, I, before we get to Halt and Catch Fire*, let's talk a little bit about *Queen Sugar* as promised this week, and that is such a beautiful title because, as promised, based on the, all the conversations that the show has been having over the course of the season, they do address Charlie and uh, the the rape allegations against her husband and her interactions with with the accuser, and all of this in, in towards the end of the episode in this really powerful way. I thought it was such a affecting episode. It was obviously something I've been saying for a while. It matches up with my ideology and my, you know. So that's kind of me. I don't. I'm not just saying this. I because I agree with them and they agree with me. But I think it was saving like this, having tangible evidence that they could really hook into. I think was good. Waiting this long for that because we got to see Charlie deal with uncertainty. We got to see her have the sense of, I know my husband and to be right in that, in that he did not rape her, rape this woman visit personally, but he set her up for that and did not care that it had happened. So like they let her be correct in her husband and also completely wrong to, to, and and I think that the, they found a, an answer to what happened that night they gave they managed to give a concrete answer um, in a way that that I think we could trust as viewers and that was very satisfying while making the situation in some ways very straight much more straightforward for Charlie and in other ways more complicated because she can say we're done but she still has a son with this person so um, not to mention a very expensive farm that she's you know that she needs access to money to be able to run and if they're getting going to get separated and divorced that access is going to be frozen while they do all their legal wrangling so
1: Plus, um her, his income is her income because yeah. she's his manager
0: yeah so it's again to make things all the thornier but um i thought that part of the episode was really uh was really satisfying i also liked what we got with ralph angel i like what we got with nova and potentially love interest there. Um I thought it was a really strong episode. And and we haven't been talking about it every week the last couple episodes, but I, but it's been it's continued to be a strong first season as far as I'm concerned. Uh what did you think about it all?
1: Well, no, I wanted to like talk about this episode because it like like you had mentioned like it circled back to something that you were focused on in the beginning of the season and when we were talking about it with um Davis and the affair and the prostitute and the way that the show was conceptualizing her as this off-screen character. Well, almost off-screen. I mean, she was in a video recording, but so I, like you, I just really loved that scene. I really loved the way that, um, Timon, Kyle, um, Durrett, uh, just like, just kept shifting in that really tailored suit while the recording was playing. Like, I mean, this was a guy who was just like, I'm good, I'm clear, nothing's going to happen, and I've, I've got this all on lockdown. It's $3 million, the problem's going to go away. I'm good. And just, like, it's a really good performance for him in, like, finding that way of not going, A, like, A, just the impulse to avoid, like, on a script level, on a directorial level, on an acting level, to go really big and ragey or like frustrated and angry uh, is too easy of impulse. So to watch him like just squirm and just like look angry and frustrated, but also defeated is just really, really nice spin on this kind of a scene. But then just Charlie's complete, I'm sorry. And this idea of like, that was pre-shadowed, um, pre-shadowed, gosh, who am I? Pre-shadowed. <laughs> Foreshadowed, yeah um by Nova on the radio interview with um referring to the woman as a victim
2: mm-hmm.
1: and Charlie just going like ballistic on that idea and just realizing oh <laughs> eh, about that
0: <laughs> <laughs> funny thing <laughs>
1: um, yeah but it's such a really well done scene and I like the other thing about it is that the the Uh, the sudden understanding between Charlie and I hate that. I can't remember the escort's name and it's really bugging me. Um, Is it on the thing? No, it's not on the thing. Well, that's really annoying. Mm -hmm. Um, That just that sudden glimpse of understanding uh, that they've both essentially been actively betrayed by Davis Mm -hmm. and that sudden connection that they both make between the two of them is just terrific and really powerful and Mm gut-wrenching and i just that that scene is basically this entire episode for me is i kind of forgot everything else that happened (laughs) in in this episode from the stuff higher getting the farm underway to the um cell phones
0: the cell phone stuff and oh but what about nova with davis on the porch no,
1: no, that was actually really good. But I, the, to the my point
0: is that I kind
1: of forgot that, that happened until you just told me about it. Mm-hmm. And it is a really good scene of her going, "Man, please." Are you kidding no, me right now? You're <laughs> kidding me. Yeah. So no, that was really good as well. Um, and I kind of want Davis to stick around just so people can keep beating up on him.
0: <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Well, but I, no. Go ahead. Go ahead. And and, and of course, again having. A teenage son who's already dealing with so much about his, like his relationships with women, with his girlfriend having been cheated on, and he already had the, you know, Charlie at the beginning of the season was concerned that they were not giving him a strong enough sense of the real world and too much privilege, basically. Before all this happens, that just makes everything so much more challenging. What is Charlie's responsibility to her son? as a mother as a person who's supposed to educate and guide and steer her son to being the best person he can be and is there any is there any defense of protecting her his relationship with his father like where is what is the right thing the best thing for her to do for her son and how does she find that um, amidst the rage that she feels towards Davis how does she know that she's acting in her son's best interest versus out of anger like and and is she the person who should do this and what is then what is Davis going to say and how like there's so much thorny stuff they can get into if they choose to and I really hope they do and they don't just have her gallivant off with the cute you know engineer
1: right and I the nice the other nice thing that the show's done is that Micah's Loyalties, which is i think an okay way to describe that because i mean at least from my perspective and as someone whose parents got divorced at a significantly younger age than who when micah's parents are hurling towards um is that you definitely very much feel a sense of allegiance some of the time and i mean i very much felt one And it's one of those things where he's gone back and forth really well in a way that makes sense and feels motivated and consistent with his character as opposed to, well, we need a conflict between them this week and so Micah's going to change sides on which parent he likes best. And that's a very easy thing to do. But everything that they've done has felt very motivated with Micah's response to the ongoing drama within his family. And so... I very much feel like given like a full set of information, Micah would very much be like, fuck that. We're going to Louisiana. (laughs) We're going to grow, we're going to grow sugar mom. Yeah. Um, and I feel like that's like where Micah would end up. But I think that it's still a much thornier issue because it's just like, Oh, you've got a brand new school in a place that is not Los Angeles. And just the sheer, difference and culture shock that that's going to be is either something that they can do this season, but it's feels more likely that it'll be something that happens next season. Um, but I'm still really eager to see that. And yes, the struggle for Charlie to figure out what's best is very much. I don't think going to be a huge struggle because I think very much she's just going to go, we're leaving. <laughs> but like you said, the thornier nature of the fact that their business is their marriage and their marriage is their business is something that's going to be a much more complicated issue, but it's also a way for the show to get out of having a financial out for the firm, which is going to like ratchet everything else up. And that's yeah. really exciting.
0: Yeah. And the other thing we should mention is of course we have not met any of Davis's family yet.
1: No, we haven't. And, and I don't
0: know if we are. Yeah. Are but we? Yeah. eventually you'd yeah. think the grandparents are going to show up and want to spend time with their kid, you know, like their grandkids. So like, There's plenty more very real tension they can play if they want to. So we'll see what they do. Um, Our last show of the week is Halt and Catch Fire. You are not safe. And speaking of tension, uh, how much did we love this episode? They jump forward so much time. They shake some things up. They confirm other things. Next week is the two-episode finale. Uh, Yeah, I thought this was terrific and very very affecting what do you think um
1: i wanted to like this a lot more than i think everyone else did um mm-hmm. in part because i just couldn't get past ryan i had a really hard time getting past ryan
0: oh do you you didn't care that he no.
1: yeah i didn't care because there's no character there for me to feel bad that joe feels bad And so I was just like, oh, God, no, this was just a thing to get us to this point. Like, I felt like he was going to be. And then they're just like, well, he jumped out a window. And it's just like, or jumped off a balcony is more accurate. And I just went, I don't care, though. Like, I mean, this time spent trying to find him and everything, I just went, oh, why? Why? I understand why we're doing this. I understand why the show is doing this. I don't understand why I'm supposed to care. Okay. And that was just, that was more my hangups on the fact that Ryan barely exists as a character to me and is more a set of, well, we needed to get Joe out of his company. What's the best way to do that? Have Ryan leak everything. Oh, we needed, we needed some more conflict for Joe. We needed something for Joe to do beyond his company. Well, we're going to make up this character. And it's just like, I don't, I don't, I understand like this. Id- Maybe you can explain this to me then um, if you felt differently, but I feel like the rest of the episode was really good. I'm normally really antsy with like time skips, um, especially when we're not at the end of the show or the end of the season. We're at the end of the season, but we're not like in the finale. Um, so I'm always like really antsy with time skips um, just because I feel like they've also kind of become a crutch for a lot of writers um, to bypass, uh, well, this stuff, we're not quite sure what to do with, but we know what this is, so we're going to speed up to get to this. Uh, but it's still a really interesting process that they go through for like the, co- the complete and total collapse of the stock. It's just like watching them hit basically F5 and go, oh, we're not making any money <laughs> at all. We're losing money, in fact. Isn't this great? Um, it's just really gut-wrenching to watch and circles back to a lot of like the things that businesses just don't do well sometimes and Halt and Catch Fire has never been unwilling to explore that idea. Um, and then just this idea that Cameron's going to go to Japan <laughs> is, I think, really interesting and really exciting, but I mean for me, this entire episode is Cameron's face at seeing Donna in the supermarket. And it's just like that sheer look of, I mean, it's been months and she's still just looking at Donna with complete loathing and disgust and anger and frustration. It's just like, it's that the entire scene is just that, that episode is just that entire scene for me. Um, Cause it's so good. And just that high kind of way from Donna is just, it's so good. And so gut-wrenching. And Obviously, like, that's the relationship of the show that I'm just so deeply invested in. Um, So tell me why you were really over the moon, and tell me, if you can, and if you feel differently, why I'm very wrong about not giving a damn about Ryan.
0: Well, I think, what it was for me, and I was actually going to text you this while I was watching it, um, but I I didn't have my phone near me. As I was watching this episode, I was like, oh, is this the show responding to the fact that nobody cares about Ryan? Who's watching? And then, yeah, that's what it felt like. It became
1: the episode was produced. Whoever knows how long ago outside the vacuum of criticism.
0: Well, yeah, (laughs) yes, but like, I feel like I feel like this. There's like we've been fond of saying. There's no there there with Ryan. There's there's no depth and nuance and you know like there's there's no. they haven't put the time and energy into making him feel like a character, like a real person. And it felt to me like they realized, oops, we should have done that. Okay, well then what can we do instead? Because um, it's too late. You know, unless he's going to be a long-term character, it's too late. So what they did instead is they have, that we don't really care about him, but we care about the people who care about him. And so for me, that meant uh, like watching and having him jump off of Joe's balcony, I think also was a very powerful callback to Joe's call um, and discovery that he does not, did not have uh, HIV. And he goes out to the balcony and we haven't seen him respond yet. We don't know what he's going to do. And then he smiles and we know it's okay. Um, So I think having that callback to that was really... At least for me, very effective. Um, it really worked, and having, um, you know, have it, ha- having, you know, seeing these characters who can like Cameron, someone like Cameron can go very much towards an edge, and and Gordon too of of and certainly Joe of paranoia and of people are to get me and all this different stuff, and watching Ryan go over that, um, and he yes he was on the lam anyways, but. We see pushed, you know, or finding himself in this, la- this, this headspace of constantly running, convinced everybody's out to get him all of the stuff, um, that put some of the behaviors of Cam and, and Gordon and, uh, Joe at different points in perspective for me. So I thought that that, it felt like. That's what I was connecting to. Now I don't disagree with anything you're saying, <laughs> because right, so I, no. I mean, you know, I see where you're coming from. But for me, the the I was more um, connecting to how the how our main characters were responding to it than you were, basically. Right. And, no. Yeah. I,
1: I think you're right, but every and I agree with it, and like you're giving me like a little bit more to think about with this, but everything else that you're saying is just to me just the show doubled down on basically just Ryan as a device.
0: Yeah. Yeah.
1: Fair enough. And I, I, a a good device based on, like, everything that you're mapping out and connecting through him, which I think is spot on. And very much, I think, what Ryan was intended to do, I just... It just feels really weird to do that to this character and also are only really major character of not white.
0: <laughs> yeah, that's true. Excellent. And point.
1: he becomes like this body and device through which all these white people ascribe their trauma and personalities through. hmm um, Which is a weird thing to like think about, but it's so apparent because there are just not very many people of color on *Halt and Catch Um But it's just, yeah, it's just anyway. Sorry, I interrupted just because no, I needed okay. to get that thought out before I forgot it because I was going to forget <laughs> it because I'm on three hours of sleep. But, I yeah, it's just it doubled down in the device type of thing, and even his suicide note feels very much like device driven. Of mm-hmm. here's the message type of thing.
0: Yeah, and I and mean because there's no. By the way, I love you, mom and dad. You know, like <laughs> right. Right. there's no, nothing it's personal about yeah the
1: dangers of the internet
0: <laughs> yeah yeah it does yeah you're right it feels very clinical it doesn't and because we don't know who he is yeah. like maybe he sent an email to his parents who we just don't know about it but right. like and it's possible yeah but um yeah you're I, I don't disagree with what you're saying and and i totally see how that is can just like Halt any you know uh, emotional connection with this episode in its path but um, for me it, I I was able to it didn't that didn't stop me from enjoying it as much and even though I understand how it you know did right. raise a flag for you. Um, I liked the Halloween stuff. I loved the Halloween costumes <laughs> Gordon yes. as as Han <laughs> uh, and uh, I, I liked the um, I, I loved the detail of when they're at the grocery store, cam's in the candy aisle and that's where she went it's like maybe they won't have everything we need in japan and she goes and she's once again in the candy aisle and it points to that um her potential like like her is donna is the parent and her is the child which has been so much of the theme of the season um and uh, i loved the kids the girls running up and giving her the hug too that was just wonderful oh yeah (laughs) Um, but but mostly, I'm very excited to see what they're going to do for the last episodes of the season, and especially airing them back to back. Um, I'm yeah. I think it's just been. I I I was much more on board for the Joe and Gordon stuff than I thought I would be. I think the the Cam and Joe scene we get works much better than I would have anticipated, and I think they've just so far at least they've done like scenes that I know they're that are coming but I'm dreading they do really well and they I'm very pleasantly surprised. Um I just look forward to seeing what comes next.
1: Yeah, no, i but we also don't have a season 4.
0: Like Yeah. So we didn't I, think we'd get a season
1: 3. Yeah, no, we definitely didn't think we'd get a season 3, but I mean, I'm kind of like emotionally preparing myself that this might be it.
0: That's very true. Yeah, it, might, it very well may be. And I think if it is, they're going to and well,
1: yeah, I think so too. They're in a good place to like wrap up in a way that they weren't in a good place to wrap up in season two, yeah. So yeah. I'm like really eager for that,
0: yeah. Well, any final thoughts, or if not, what wins your weekend drama?
1: Um, despite all my complaining about Ryan, I'm still gonna give it to Halden Getzfire. Um, yeah. just it was still a really, really great episode. Um, and you've given me like a bit more appreciation for that episode by connecting Ryan through everyone, even if I don't like that, <laughs> Fair um, enough. I can appreciate it. So I'll give it to Halt and Catch Fire. What about you?
0: Um, I, yeah, I'll give it to Halt and Catch Fire. I was thinking of splitting it with Queen Sugar, but I'll, I'll, I'll give it to Halt and Catch Fire. And I certainly, like I said, I'm looking forward to what comes next. In our, in our finale uh, next week two part finale next week um, a few shout outs here at the end of our week in TV you can find a post up for this episode at theteleverse.org where you can leave us a comment and let us know what you thought of the week's TV you can also email us theteleverse at gmail.com you can like our page uh, and Facebook leave a comment there start up a conversation you can also find us with an M4A chaptered feed and an MP3 unchaptered feed in iTunes and we're also up in Stitcher and you can leave us a rating review either place we would very much appreciate it and of course you can find uh, me on Twitter i am at the televerse you can find noel at tvguide.com and on twitter
1: i mean it's it's exciting in a way that i don't freelance for a major media conglomerate that had two tv-centric websites and went. one of these has a brand value do i have to tell you
0: what i tell my students no (laughs) self-deprecation sir it's not, not waste of time. It's not self self-deprecation.
1: It's just the reality of the situation. Well, I'm at least in.
0: you're <laughs> writing stuff. I I need to start writing stuff again. It's been too long. Yeah.
1: But no, <laughs> so um, I do like flash pieces, is how I'm describing them because they're not reviews. Um, over at tvguy.com, and um, you can find me on Twitter at NoelRK.
0: Um, and uh, again, it's oh man, so much, so much TV. Next week, at least we don't have a bajillion premieres, right? Right. No, week after that. <laughs> <laughs> oh, oh well. Well, uh, at least most of them were, were pretty interesting this week, and we'll see what what comes our way next week. But for now, we're going to take a break, and I'm going to come back with former co-host of the show, current uh, co-host over at TV Roundtable, Sean Coletti, to talk about Transparent season three. So I'll be right back after this. Yeah, nailed it. We made that. Yay! What'd you wish? Well, one of the things I wished
2: for is that you don't call me Mappa anymore. Why? I thought you like Mappa. How about you guys can start calling me Mom? You want them to call you Mom? I would love that. Where does my chin go? We're gonna do a little trimming on the jawline, then we do a little liposuction around the neck. That's fantastic. I'd like to donate my excess skin to research. Sound and color with me for mind. When one person in a family transitions, everyone transitions.
1: Who here wants to know my social media name? It's to Shell
2: and Back. I'm a brand. She just wants to be pretty and she deserves to feel pretty. I'm sorry I was such a shitty parent. I cannot let Colton down again.
0: having to pretend. If that's what you need, then I don't know what to say. The lesson is to be our best self. back with the televerse this is kate kalzik and this week uh at the dvd shelf or i should say it's time for season spotlight rather than dvd shelf hopefully there'll be several more seasons to come for this show uh but but i'll be talking here about about transparent which had season three drop recently on amazon and joining me coming back to the show it's been too long a uh, friend of the show former co-host of the podcast uh from tv roundtable it's sean coletti sean welcome back
3: Thank you for having me. I only come back when it's time to talk about one of my favorite shows.
0: Yeah, we, we like we have a high bar for 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 if you're gonna come back. It's like Samurai Jack or Carlos or like it's like super like Samurai Jack is not the most intense um, in its own way, maybe, but it's like it's, we always are talking about super intense shows, you and I.
3: Yeah, and ones that deserve the breakdown.
0: Absolutely. This week in the DVD shelf, Noel will not be joining us because uh, he's not a fan of Transparent. He hasn't really t- checked in much since uh, season one, uh, but it, I, I felt like we should talk about this this most recent season and, and how the series is going, what changes we're seeing in it, and, and how the most recent season has sh- is shaping up So or has shaped up. Oh, streaming. It's it's such a different vernacular. Um so Sean, why don't you uh kick us off with how are you, how do you feel about the series in general and did season 3 fit into that or did that change your relationship with the show?
3: Um I kind of wanted to wait until I saw all of this season before definitively saying that I think that this is the best show on TV or whatever we call TV when we're talking about streaming stuff as well. Um, Because there are things still like rectifying the leftovers and the Americans. And after seeing this, yes, yes, this is what I think is the best show on television. And in season three was part of the reason that cemented that. Um, If you talk to people who don't watch a ton of TV, but these are people who you recommend series occasionally. uh, My parents are, are two of those people for me. And with something like transparent, um, I haven't recommend that to them yet, or at least they haven't fall, um, through on the recommendation, but you you always get responses like, man, that was good, but that family is really messed up. (laughs)
2: Um,
3: which is very obvious, but, uh, maybe a statement that's also worth unpacking more because there are different variations of messed up. And, uh, this one I think isn't, The case of all these people are despicable um but we get along with the series anyway and this season especially i thought like moves were made to really show the the complexity of the humanity of these people especially josh who i kind of think is the heart and soul of the series um but it there's more to it than just bad people doing bad things, which is kind of what Girls got criticized for at the beginning of its run. Um, And it's an interesting parallel, but I feel very close to the Fefferman family and uh, was happy and sad as it goes with Transparent to to get 10 more episodes for this fall.
0: Yeah. Well, it's interesting. And when you talk about Transparent, um, I feel like people who, fans of the show, but also just people who appreciate the show, um, even if they're not like super in love with it they will have very different opinions i feel like on where the heart of the show is and who their favorite character is or where, who they're connecting with and who is you know having a more challenging shall we say season and i think that shifts somewhat between the different seasons these are very self involved people i think i think we can agree on that yeah absolutely so it can be they can be they can be challenging but um it's interesting for me for you to say that um that Josh is the heart of the show because for me it's different every season so like last season I felt like was really big for uh, and really focusing in on on Allie and she had a lot this season too but I felt like her her like kind of quest and searching in season two was really what uh, cemented or really drew in a lot of of the themes of the show and and of course plays very much to the strengths of the show visually and aesthetically and the experimentation, the, uh, the different, you know, just visual approaches that the directors like to take on the show. Um, so, and, and maybe it's also just that I don't really like Josh. I'm not really that interested in Josh. I'm not that drawn to him, that I don't necessarily see him as, as the, the core of the show. But I do think that I would agree that they made, it feels like they made an, an active effort to rehabilitate him somewhat or to, to have him consider where he's at and what has shaped that and really deal with some of the stuff, some of his decisions from the previous season. So the stuff we get with um, him and Raquel, the stuff we get with him dealing with his rapist suicide, who was also his uh, baby mama. And like like, that relationship is so messed up and he's still not ready to deal with it. It's a watching him deal with his son and, and the fallout from the way that he treated Colton last season, the decisions he made, um, was really compelling for me this season. Um, but I still have trouble. I still have a bit of a disconnect with Josh. And I, I just – maybe it's just a personality thing, Sean. Maybe it's just like you know, like, <laughs> like with Sex and the City, you know, people have different – you know, oh, they're a Charlotte, they're a Miranda or whatever. Maybe I'm just not a Josh –
3: it could be. Um, I like what you said about Allie from last season, and I would probably agree with that as well, all of the the historical stuff and a lot of the, the parallel stories between the present and the flashbacks to the Featherman migration um, to begin with. Um, and it was great that she was introduced in that way too, following through. We see her teaching uh, a class and kind of veering off of the syllabus a little bit just so that she can kind of explain the importance of, of that. But yeah, with Josh... Um, especially in Episodes 5, 6, and 7, I think, in this season, or it might be 4, 5, and 6. The, the, the arc that starts from just after Rita jumps off um, the balcony and the mall all the way through his road trip. <clears throat> Excuse me. Um, i it, it's just really heartbreaking i guess it could be a personality thing and if that is the case like it's completely reasonable and and it isn't necessary to get over in any way whatsoever but i think what's so difficult for me is his relationship with raquel which kind of hovers over the first few episodes of this in the background like it's a very ominous presence and then when they finally meet um at the at the event that uh the sister is throwing. Oh
0: man, Sarah,
3: Amy Landau, Sarah. Yeah, yeah. Um, the just the the facial expressions between um, Duplass and and Han there, and the hug and the conversation that they share. It's it's brutal. Like I, that relationship was such a big emotional part of season two, and I think it carries over here. And when he goes on the road trip and admits that he just has no idea what he's doing right now. Um, he is, I think, the one most lost this season and that gets carried through to the, the finale when they throw an impromptu Seder on the, on the ship, not the boat, um, <laughs> and he's the only one who can't sit there because he's just not capable of doing that right now. So it, even though a lot of people had some really great stories this season, and especially a lot of bit characters as well. Transparent is just a ridiculous amount of coups of casting in, in secondary roles. Um, it, it was his story, I think, that felt like there there was something incomplete, nothing wrapped up tidily. Uh, not that everything does on Transparent because it doesn't, but it, he, I think the, the emotion of the season pivoted around him.
0: Yeah, I think that's that. Journey for him was certainly very uh, compelling, and I appreciate the performance from J.J. Duplass um, uh, quite a bit. I think what I have trouble with, with Josh, first of all, uh, he hurt Rabbi Raquel, and that is unacceptable because she is <laughs> the best, and it's a statement, a testament to Katherine Hahn's performance and the writing for that character, but especially just Hahn's performance, that despite her telling him yeah abandon your biological son t- and i still like her that is like i sh- should that should be like a you can't come back from that moment but she's the best it's like Davina and Rebecca. Ra- Ra- raquel those are the two best people on this show um i love them they're wonderful <laughs> um so uh I-, I think i i watching i was so glad that we followed uh, Raquel throughout this season. I was worried that you know, with the split between her and and Josh, we wouldn't necessarily follow her anymore. So I was glad that they tied Sarah into 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 like that storyline together and and had her try to get more involved um, at at the temple and get on the board and everything. Um, so, just so that we could spend more time with Catherine Hahn. And uh, I really liked what we saw with um, just the increased presence of trans actors on the show and I think a character that stands out is of course uh, Maura's friend who Josh you know takes off for a road trip with and I really like the that character whose name escapes me at the moment I, I apologize but I did really appreciate their interactions and 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 that storyline as well so I was keying more into that but I think it's just this combination of he was mean to Rabiracola and she's lovely and also that it's the the a sticking point I have with transparent um, is that they're just all very very privileged. Um, even somebody like Mora is incredibly privileged because she has money, because she can theoretically afford to just like have her kids stay in this giant gorgeous, amazing house that she doesn't need to sell when she's figuring out if she's going to have gender confirmation surgery. Like, the fact that they, there's a little more talk about money being an issue, but, like, the fact that somebody like Josh can be so lost and is able to just, like, go to not have to work while he's lost, not have to deal with a lot of the stuff that a lot of people do have to deal with while still being lost, while still trying to figure out uh, a lot of their issues, um, that that can be a bit of a challenge for me. So am I just not sympathetic? Am I just being very mean to these characters, Sean?
3: No, I don't think so. It's just um, on on what level do you take a series? Because yeah, like from the get-go, you have to make that decision. What is the socioeconomic status of the group of main characters? And that kind of guides, in some way, some of the narrative directions that the series can and should take. And by making them um, well-to-do, that I guess lays the groundwork for more of a psychological uh, approach to the core cast, and without having to deal with a lot of external conflict that that would accompany a, like a poorer version of this family. Um, and that's not to say that any direction that any series takes is is wrong or better than the other. It's just, it is what it is and I can understand why anybody would have a problem with that. Um, but given that, yeah, I think the, the foils here are a lot of these characters around the Pfeffermans, the ones that you've mentioned um, and I would throw uh, Rob, I don't know how to pronounce his last name, uh, Hubel. Hubel. Yeah, Hubel it, as Len uh, and the, the weird relationship that Uh, Len and Sarah have in this season, Um, they all kind of act as foils to the Feathermans who are very disturbed and damaged people. And I think with Transparent, and especially this season, the point of having those people around, and Catherine Hong gets promoted to to series regular in this season, which is great, um, is to show that even at their worst, all of these people are still trying, and even though they are all incredibly self-involved, having selfless people around them at least exposes them to questions about, you know, what what does life outside of my little inner circle and vision look like, and oh, are other people's lives just as important as my own, and should I make an effort to, to ask, you know, how are you doing and actually mean it. And I think most of the characters, most of the Pfeffermans in this season take at least a small incremental steps closer in that direction. And it feels like, at least thematically, we get more of these characters feeling less lonely because they're starting to connect more with the people around them. Um, and again, this is comparative. So, <laughs> like, it's still... There's, there's no empathy in this series on the level of, of most other television series that are, are genuine. But uh, that's also kind of why I'm so impressed by it because people who are the self-involved, you know, you can't just write a, a one season story that takes them from point A to point Z.
0: Well, and I think it's also, I think there, it's, it's easy to distance yourself from characters that self-involved. Um, and I know that that's been a criticism of other shows as well. Because there's a lot of self-involved people on television because, honestly, it lets you sit around and say, let's talk about how I'm feeling because I'm so important. You know, like, if you have characters who are more closed off and don't talk about what they're doing deal- and aren't as self-involved and are more focused on everybody else, it can be ch- more challenging for the writers to f- find ways to let you in to the characters. I, guess I think there's also a certain just interest in that type of storytelling, and there's a lot of shows about people who are very... Focused on themselves, that's fine. Um, but what I think that this season does, and the, the just the humanity that they, with which they treat all of their characters, they acknowledge how self-centered they are. They acknowledge, you know, these are very flawed individuals, but they always treat them with respect. And when you talk about these people surrounding the different characters, and somebody like like Len. This season, we got such an emphasis. It's because, it's like because Sarah has gone, because of what she's gone through in the last two seasons and blowing up her life and, you know, honestly, probably traumatizing her children somewhat in different things because that's what she needed to do to to be, to take care of herself emotionally and mentally. And that's a decision that she made that we could discuss whether that was a good or bad thing. But I, I in this season, we get, because she's dealt enough, she's figured out enough about herself she, we see her focusing more on her children, so having Sarah and Len co-parenting, living together in this sort of bizarre, to, to I'm sure a lot of people's situation, but so that they can both be present in their children's lives, because that is more important, is something that I respect tremendously, and I think shows a big progression in where Sarah is at. Um, I think we see so much growth through that decision, which happens between the seasons. Um, and I would also point to something like... Um, you know, I, th- I think Mora is such a uh, sympathetic center for the show, but we also get Vicky, and I love Angelica Houston this season, and I love that they made her such a more significant presence this season, and her, you know, conversations. Of, like, why does it always have to be about Mora? Because there, are, you know, there are times when she's absolutely more absolutely right to be furious with. Um, for example, her sister, but that doesn't change. Doesn't make what Vicky's dealing with any less valid, and it doesn't make, you know, like I really, I really appreciate like you were saying these side characters that they kind of pair off each of the, the main cast with to to really, show the difference in the dynamic within the family and then externally.
2: I think
3: one that teaches one of the main characters how to be a better person, but not in the best of ways is Leslie. And Leslie and Allie's relationship I think is really interesting when you look uh, in contrast to to Vicky and, and Morris. Um because it, it seems like Allie has to be backpedaling and, and this actually goes hand in hand with um, how kind of codependent Allie and, and Josh are at, at least in the beginning of the season until Josh kind of breaks down. Um that just by being around Leslie and realizing that she's not exactly the image uh, that she had in mind when getting into this relationship um, that's you can kind of see the wheels turning behind Allie's eyes and even though that's not the the way you want her to develop and, and see the the selfish selfishness that's not just within her but kind of inherent in her entire family unfortunately um, it it also moves her in the right direction. And uh, Terry Jones killed it again this season as Leslie, and then, yeah, and Joppa Houston, uh, even though it seems like she might not come back for the next season, given that they're broken up, was a big part of that, too.
0: Yeah, uh, the, the falling of the shades from Allie's eyes as regards Leslie, just seeing her as a human being, which it takes her a while to get there, but she eventually does. I think, really, it takes until until the the Seder where it's like you come to this thing for my family and you gotta you gotta make a you got you gotta make a big deal about these coffee beans you don't just say this is not the time play I'm not gonna have the coffee but I'm not gonna make a political statement at this Seder because my relationship should be more you know like I think that's what it takes for for Allie to start seeing her as an individual as opposed to you know, as a person and not an idea as opposed to earlier where it just she starts to get a little scared based on the intensity. And I guess that, that really does follow right after. I'm getting the timeline confused. But but the intensity of Leslie committing to her, which is theoretically what she wants, but the timing of that happening just as Leslie is becoming more human to her. Um, I know I I, I was... Certainly enjoying that dynamic throughout the season, and the this show's messed up <laughs> family <laughs> relationships, and but not just family. But it's all, this show has also very distinct and fucked up uh, mentor and parental relationships. We see that in a strong way with Leslie and Allie, but we also, of course, see that with with Josh and Rita. And we find out in the flashback episode that likely Shelly was abused by her music teacher. Like every person on this show has insane amounts of trauma. It is a ridiculous. I don't doubt that there is some family out there that is this unlucky in their interactions to all have had such like messed up relationships. But I just it's again, it's a credit to the show that I don't rebel from from it that i don't call bs that i don't say like okay what are the odds every single character has some sort of like significant secret or trauma or like shady past that they're not really able to deal with It's it could be very jarring or very it could come off as manipulative but for whatever reason because the show is so connected with its characters and because it is constantly re-evaluating them and constantly stressing their humanity I'm willing to give it to them. Do you ever have that problem Sean? Which exactly? Of feeling like okay so we've got a, a core nuclear family of Mora, who comes out as trans in her late 60s and Shelly who we find out was sexually assaulted as a teenager likely uh, and then we've got Sarah who blows up her life like twice in the span of 2 years and we've got Josh who is um was based, was raped as a teenager because he couldn't have given consent because the the woman was so much older and he was a, he was a teenager um and and there was a secret out of wedlock baby that his parents hid from him and Allie who's now in a relationship with her teacher who's um, also a colleague of of Mora before she trans... Like, does that ever say... Do you ever say, no, this is too much drama for this family? None of them... Why do they all need to have such specific and individualized... Like, one of these things, theoretically, would be enough for for a family to deal with, let alone all of it.
3: Yeah, it's certainly too much drama for a series that for some reason is categorized as a comedy for the Emmys. Uh, these people fall into patterns, and not like just the characters on the show, but these types of people, I think, and, and I know them, I think most people know at least a couple. Uh, the if, fact that... if
0: we aren't them. Oh, yeah, gosh.
3: exactly, yeah. So, yeah, I guess if you list it off like that, it becomes, and sounds incredibly ridiculous but when you're watching transparent you're like oh yeah that makes sense because these people would make terrible decisions like that or yes like a black cloud follows these people around and they're tragic in, in the classic sense of that word um so i guess it's one of those things uh if you're actively scrutinizing it then it will be like something that nags at you but if you kind of just take it at face value, then I don't think it really ruins the enjoyment. Oh, I can't even say enjoyment of the show, really, but, uh, <laughs> the, your believability, I guess. Yeah. Um,
0: it comes to mind for me because I was watching, I was watching a late, I was watching the one right before the flashback. Um, and, and my brother came over and sat down and watched some of it with me and he hasn't seen any part of the show. And, before I was like, this, is, this will be interesting. <laughs> okay. Um, and he connected the show to Arrested Development, where it's just very heightened, and there's too much craziness surrounding, you know, for him. There's too much craziness surrounding each individual character. But I thought I, w- I never would have connected them, uh, those two shows, but I can see them now. I'm sort of obsessed with this idea of them as, comedic and dramatic foils of each other, Uh, one being ridiculous and comedic and hilarious and hijinky and the other being much deeper, but still having that notion of that messed up, but still usually supportive family. Um, I don't know, what do you think?
3: Totally, it's a great comparison. Um, I think if you just look on paper at what Arrested Development is, that's also a very tragic story and difficult uh, to take in. And yeah, I mean, if you just remove Ron Howard's and some of the background music there, there's little <laughs> difference really between watching the shows. Uh, everybody is is struggling to come to terms with who they are uh, and also try to coexist in, in a family that really can't seem to coexist very well. I've really enjoyed the, the turn at the end of the season towards, uh, towards Shelley the the flashback episode like just looking at that like aesthetically and as a one off probably isn't the the best very special episode that Transparent has done because they've done a few really good ones um, e- even compared to the, the finale here which all takes place on the ship but it was really important for what it did to, to color in Shelley's backgrounds and like um, Vicky who you mentioned confronting Mora about how she is. Uh, having Shelley address the entire family and saying, if you want to hear my story, then come hear my story, because they definitely don't listen to her. I think in some ways, Shelley might be the best written character on this show, just in terms of how natural her dialogue sounds, because we all know somebody like that who, it's not even like saying things just to say things. It's like this involuntary... Uh, speech where you're just filling air and I don't even know if she's aware of it but you know like those people who just respond to everything even though most of the times they things just don't need a response and she's so natural and believable of a character and to to give her the final spotlights uh, literally um, but also thematically I think was really smart because she has been one of the underserved characters which is fine because she she serves a role and I think that all the stories that we've got with the kids and Mora have been necessary, uh, but that that just shows like how deep this cast goes. That it's really only until these last couple episodes that we get a really significant Shelley arc.
0: Yeah, Judith Light is terrific this season. She always is terrific. We we love Judith Light. Um, I feel confident speaking for you on that one, Sean. But um, yeah, the, the the handling of that character is, I think, particularly deft because. She is, on one, at one time, at one point, she is this almost stereotype of, of the Jewish mother or, or grandmother. Um, she is a nag. She is, um, a mar- she martyrs <laughs> herself in, her, in their conversations. Oh, you always ignore me, oh, you always, this. but at the same time, she's also got a point they do ignore her, and now most of, like, a lot of the time when she's talking and saying things, she's just feeling time she's not actually listening, so there's a reason for them to do that, for them to disengage with it, or to feel like she's playing the martyr card too too frequently, but she also feels human. She also comes from a very distinct place, and she does, like, while she's way too happy to, to make parallels she shouldn't be making, um, her... Talk about um, I'm transitioning too, and then the cut to the the trans members of the family who are there uh, was delightful. Loved that. Uh, so yes, she's insensitive and completely not aware uh, of you know what she is saying, what the subtext of what she's saying in that moment. But she also is not wrong that she that having this life with Mort be recontextualized. And the you know as as more comes out um is taking her a while to really process and deal with and i i really liked her arc over the 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 season particularly when she throws out her her pos uh husband boyfriend what was that i can't
3: boyfriend it, yeah i think it's you Buzz's lie, boyfriend. Yeah.
0: lie about cancer Are you kidding me? You lie about a dead wife, a first wife from cancer, and you try and be like, I'm just saying that I am the kind of guy who would spend all of his money on a dying wife. I mean, come on. That was perhaps the most satisfying moment this season.
3: Yeah, I'd hesitate to argue with that, too. It's not even that she's complacent or passive most of the time. It's just that she's willing to just... Put up with that stuff, mm-hmm. um, and to see her just snap out of that and realize he's got to go—that that was fantastic. And if the Alanis Morissette cover does not make it into your year-end podcast, I'm going to be very upset.
0: <laughs> it was terrific, wasn't it?
3: Yeah, that's that's one of the highlights, and they they've done such good music on their show too. This is one of the few series where um, I I cannot. Not let the credits play out like
0: every time,
3: every time, yeah. All the choices are fantastic,
0: yeah. Well, do you have any other favorite moments from this season or characters we haven't really mentioned yet?
2: Oh,
3: oh, I don't know. I think the time that I was crying the hardest was during the Seder. Was it a Seder in the fifth episode?
0: Mm -hmm. Um. Sarah's event.
3: Yeah, when not not even when Josh and um, when Josh and Raquel are reconnecting or not reconnecting, but when Raquel is going around the circle, just kind of giving um, meaning behind what they're doing, and when everybody's hands are on their shoulders um, and everybody's coming forward to to give blessings, that that to me epitomized what will hopefully be. Um, the end for some of these characters so I don't really see this as an ultimately pessimistic show I think it's going in the right direction towards healing uh, and that was one of the few moments in all three of these seasons I think where people were experiencing legitimate healing so I would highlight that
0: yeah it was a lovely episode and um, yeah I I, I I had a stronger connection I think with the beginning of the season than the end of it uh, I just like episode one in a row boom 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 watch the first six and then i uh, i had to stop it was too late so i I watched the next four the next day um and yeah i think for me that that the beginning of the season and watch it like leading to that seder, and and the leading leading to ally and leslie like coming to a new point in their relationship, um, though maybe taking different things from that, <laughs> having different reactions to that. Uh, the the stuff with with Vicky and with with Mora, all of that. I, I think I was really connecting with that at the beginning of of the season. Even just something like the uh, facts of life <laughs> sequence. You know, uh, there was so there was so much great music, but also um just again on the show the show's beautiful. the way that it's shot is gorgeous. the lighting, the cinematography um, the when it they choose to use to play with light when they choose to play with framing um, they tr- just they get really affecting results and um we already mentioned it, but I also really love that they continue these flashback episodes and the dual casting um of of um, Gabby Hoffman is something I continue to love. Um, having that backstory on the family informs so much of who they are. I think what it is for me, what I mentioned earlier, the fact that all of this stuff happens to the same family and does that feel honest. I think what it is is that they, the way that they reveal this information or develop it in the writer's room, I don't know that... They knew the stuff about Shelley that we find out this week. I don't know that they knew that in season one. But what it does, they're very careful in how they craft it and make things feel. Then they reveal information to make it feel like a cycle and to make it make more sense rather than being complicated. So adding in this backstory for um, how Shelley and Mora first like met and that he was dating her friend and the idea that secrecy and lies was always a part of their relationship, even before they were officially together, um, makes other elements make more sense, connects into the choices these, these characters have made that have then been passed down from their backstories, uh, especially, you know, Maura's family and her, 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 her extended family going back generations but then how that also then plays it out in the next generation and eventually the the kids too the, the youngest generation, Sarah and Lynn's kids. Um, yeah, I, I, again, it feels like with each new thing they, they add to the show, it tends to feel like they are crystallizing rather than complicating and things Mm -hmm. are becoming clearer rather than fuzzier.
3: Yeah. It, it evokes a very strong feeling, uh, the flashbacks, I agree, I enjoy that they keep using them because it adds to this weird nostalgic feeling, and it's kind of strange to feel nostalgic for a show that is still currently on, but between like the, the main title music uh, and some of the repetition of the storyline, I, I just kind of... I get a sense of, like, Christmas as soon as I sit down to watch Transparent. Maybe that's because it's very family-oriented and Christmas is a family time mostly, um, but it's, it's very strong in, in that sense in terms of tone and atmosphere. And I think like another show that, that we love, To Death, Hannibal, which is very much at the end of the day about love and trying to connect with another person despite um, being basically a misfit in society... That this is that, but just expanded to a wider cast, and they're constantly striving to achieve that love. It's just so many things get in the way of that, so it's it's very hard but rewarding to watch and to pick through.
0: Yeah, no, I I would agree with that. Um, and I guess the last thing I have here, besides shout out to Nacho. Oh, Nacho! Absolutely, yeah, man. <laughs>
2: like
3: <laughs> metaphors. Is- can be very on the nose, and having yep. an animal that operates in a shell—that's that certainly counts. But it, it works really well. <laughs>
0: um, what would you like for next season? What What would you like from the show for next season? Because I know that I want more Divina time.
2: Yeah,
3: <sighs> good question. Uh, just always other. Uh, Amazon show I Love Dick just got picked up for a full season so I'm hoping that that doesn't take her too far away from this but I guess this kind of seems like a natural halfway point or even just over the hump of halfway mm-hmm. so you know almost like how things have really started to coalesce in, in Game of Thrones as that's nearing its conclusion I kind of hope that we get a sense of these people going down roads where they're going to be better off than, than where we started because it seems like that's what's behind Transparent that that's one of its goals That uh, so not necessarily specific to any character but at least a couple of the cast members the main cast members really finding themselves and finding the things in life that, that make them happy and being able to actually live with those things
0: yeah that's lovely so I think that's a great note to end on because uh, I'm not going to do better than that so that was a lovely chat. <laughs> <laughs> uh, thank you so much for coming back on. Where can our listeners find you and your work online?
3: Um, I do a podcast at tvroundtable.com uh, with former Televerse alumni as well. Uh, so we talk about random assortments of things here and there. Uh, so you can see that or find it on iTunes uh, if you look up Roundtable.
0: Yeah, of course, that's former co-host Simon Howell. Everybody loves here at the Televerse as well as, of course, <laughs> Randy Dankovich frequent guest of the televerse so you guys should all go check that out um yeah thanks one more time sean for coming on uh always always a pleasure please come back
3: i will always be there in the outskirts ready to to tag <laughs> in
0: <laughs> of course um thank you once more sean thank you everyone for listening we'll be back next week with another episode of the televerse